Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Episode 166. This is being recorded on Sunday, March 6, 2022 at 2 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. We got Todd. We got Zach. We realized we had a very spirited discussion before we hit the record button on uh, on Coach K's farewell at Cameron Indoors. Uh, it, was, it was a very foul mouth conversation on Coach K, so we probably <laughs> it's probably not good for the cameras. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. Uh, Todd, Independent Spirit Awards tonight. How cool does it feel to watch a ceremony you voted in? It is pretty cool. Although when I, I'm looking at the odds, like the stuff that I voted for pretty much ha- is no chance. I have no idea how Zola isn't the favorite for best feature, but like there are two movies that are above it. So if they're just going to be like the Oscars and whatever, I think I said that earlier today on Adam's podcast too, kind of in the same words. Yeah. So Todd, if come on, come on wins best feature. Then I'm going to be really pissed actually. There's only one award that I care about, and please tell me you voted for this. It's for Susanna Son for Best Supporting Actress. Please tell me you voted for her. That is who I predicted to win. That's actually not who I voted for, though. Okay. Who did you vote for? I voted for Jesse Buckley. Ridiculous. But okay. I mean, I, I will take her winning and you not voting for her. I It's a bit of a slap in the face, but okay. I think... Okay, let, let me. Uh, let yeah, me, let, uh, let's let's hear the this. let's hear the long list. And my and, my rankings, I had it. yeah, I had Jesse Buckley, then Susanna Son, then Ruth Nega, and Amy Forsyth, and then Ravika and Russell, the porn I've star. Never, I've Pleasure. never heard of. Oh, that's the movie that that uh, Adam put on his list, right? And you didn't like it yeah. much, right? All right. Well, did you vote for did did you vote for for Mikey? Did you vote for uh, Simon Rex? Of course, and there's there's no chance that he doesn't win. Like but, that, that is the most spirit awards thing ever to have Simon Rex be winning for that. Wouldn't it be a little awesome though if the, the guy from the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain won just to stick it to you? It was like they <laughs> listened to the podcast. I'm and okay with Frankie Faison. To like just the, the movie sucks. Oh yeah, that best editing. And there's a problem. So I saw that movie available at my library to check out, and it looked like it was in a knockoff DVD case. Like what, something that Kenneth Chamberlain. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's on HBO Max, I think. Oh no! Well, I saw a DVD for it. It might. I think it was in a black market sort of uh, thing going on. But uh, I almost got it because I I kind of want to hate watch it. Well, not hate watch. I I want to re- react to your response to it. Oh, you probably would give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm thinking. I I I dislike the idea of it more than I actually dislike the movie. So. All right. I'm sorry, Terry. Get us back on track. What were we talking that, that, about? That's fine. I, I don't even know what we were talking We were talking okay. about the Spirit Awards. And it, oh, and it the worked. only one I and care about guys... is Best for a Screenplay because the two top two contenders are Mass and Pig. And I, I mean, Mass is winning the, uh, or it already has the Robert Altman Award. So I'm hoping Pig wins that. If not, then it's got to win the uh, Someone to Watch Award grant because Pig's got to win something. I, I hope Nicolas Cage is there. How can they already have, have named the Robert Altman Award winner? They do that every year. They, yeah, they name that with the yeah. And so the, the actors in it aren't eligible for the acting awards at the Spirit Awards because basically they're saying like all these actors would be nominated pretty much. 
I think I, I no, I don't know. There's been some big contenders that have won that just because. I think last year was one night in Miami. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds right. Well, so what's your so you've obviously voted Zola for best feature, right? What what about best first feature? That's first feature I voted for seven days, but there's no way that's winning. I'm almost oh, that's right. positive yeah, that Test that. Pattern is winning that. Have you seen Test Pattern yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to watch it. I, I voted for that category. Okay. Yeah. Number 10 on my top 10 list last year. Yeah. I actually I actually predicted uh, Brittany S. Hall to win Best Actress. I'm not sure how... I mean, maybe that was a bit of a stab, but I mean, that, that category is really weird. They snubbed all the major contenders. That There's no... Olivia Coleman and there there's no um there, there were a few other big, like big movies that didn't have their lead actress nominated that were oh like uh, uh Tessa Thompson and mm. people that could be nominated were not <laughs> all right well we'll see how that goes by the time you guys listen to it you'll have already known how it goes but uh but yeah let's uh let's keep moving on uh make sure you're subscribing rating reviewing wherever you find your podcast we are actually a little bit of an announcement we are now on anchor so you can find our podcast on anchor and that distributes it to all the other podcast places too we actually have a a hosting platform that is you know built for podcasts now instead of the macgyver whatever i had going before so uh so yeah we're on anchor you can find us there and then wherever you find your podcasts also all right. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some wonderful Costco wine that I recently acquired for $7.99 plus tax across state border in Missouri. And uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. You could go across state borders and bet on sports probably too, huh? No, no, not not Missouri. No, it's still, oh. still run by the Radical Republic. I got to go up to Iowa to do that, which is a bit of a drive. I'm not averse to it, though. My birthday is coming up. I re- you know, I, they legalized gambling in March of 2020 in Iowa, and I was planning on going to Iowa March of 2020, and then I, and then of course everything. Yeah, changed. We, we we talked about this in the podcast like two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> you, you should come out to Washington sure. where you could you could bet in Tacoma or Auburn or Snoqualmie or anywhere around here. Yeah, should we go into this a little bit on air? I think we should. Sure. Todd turned me down from Vegas because he gambles too much. And I feel like you've are you you <laughs> you've, now become, you've now become you've now become immune to gambling. It's it's not it's not it doesn't have the luster that it had five years ago now that gambling is legal. This is the problem with legalizing gambling. People listen to the Republicans, you know? It it gets people too uh, happy. They don't want to go to Vegas anymore. I mean, I still want to go to Vegas, but Turn me down, man. I will say sports betting is legal in Oregon, and uh, you can get it on an app. However, you cannot bet on any college games. Oh, that's weird. I know. I know. They, no, they what sucks is that you can't, you can't bet on... Can you just go across the river to, to Vancouver and do it? No, because in Wa- Washington, you have to be on tribal land. In oh. Yeah. Well, and you can't bet on Washington uh, college teams, which means that you can't bet futures in college. Oh, or like, well, I, I have not seen one futures thing available for college sports, not so college you, football or college basketball. You couldn't have sucks. bet the Cougars beating up on the Ducks yesterday, for example. Right. Yeah. And I can't bet, you know, Seattle U against 
Utah Valley or whatever. Right. Uh, or the Seattle Storm WNBA. Yeah. It's, I can have been on that. I'm just not. They're not college. Oh, oh just not college. Okay. Anyway, you can even bet the WNBA. I've never seen a line for a WNBA game. Long story short, Todd and Terry. I mean, Terry's going to DC, but like the the invite is is a standing invite. I I miss Vegas. You know, I mean, I we we I, I would have loved to do a live stream there. You know, Power of the Dog sweeps the Oscars. Like it would have been fun to do, but Todd has gambled too much. It's 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 not. It doesn't. It's not quite as appetizing as it once. You gave was. me like a month notice. Well, that's irrelevant. I mean, that's not important. I've I've been trying to get an, another trip to Vegas going for for a while now, and uh, it just hasn't happened yet. And we're so. not even going to have a baseball season. There's not going to be anything we can gamble on soon. I know. It's sad. We should still plan a trip at some point. At some point, maybe. I maybe think like November or something is the best time because November mm-hmm. they got college basketball, college football, and the NFL. And a free voucher for a two-night stay would still work. There we go. All right. Todd, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking uh, some beer. I have a New Belgium uh, like variety pack. And I have the 1554, which is a, uh, a dark ale brewed with spice, it says. And it actually is pretty heavy. Nice. Nice. Those I, I like those nice, heavy high alcohol content beers that are just smooth and go down nice. It's good. This is only why, where is the, I don't know, 6%. So, I mean, I guess it's not too bad. All right. Well, I've got got some, yeah, numbers up. I've got some beer here. I do have the remnants of a new Belgian uh, variety pack, but it's all voodoo ranger. But I'm not drinking that. I'm drinking the remnants of my uh, of my worthy brewing uh, trip uh, when I went to Bend, and uh, this is called Return to the Mountain. It's a hazy IPA, so seven percent. It's pretty good. Pretty good. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into what we've been watching. Then we've got a featured review. We've got a come to the stable review. Uh, we have power rankings, we've got trivia and all that fun stuff. So let's get into this and we're going to go to, uh, let's see here. You know what? I'm going to go first. I never go first first on what we've been watching. So (laughs) I'm going to go first. Finally, Step up to the plate, son. Yep. 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 All right. I'm going to go first here. You guys have been doing all the talking at this point. Uh, so we're going back 10 years. Let's see if you guys can get this, uh, 10 year anniversary of I clicked the wrong thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know what the nomination was in, but I want to double check. Oh, come on. Oz the Great and Powerful. It's not Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, I'd actually already dang. seen that. Quite. <laughs> I'm actually not surprised that you've seen that. No, it's not that. It's a, I think it's a sole original screenplay nominee. Hmm. The Judge. No, that was not a sole. That was not that a sole supporting right actor. 2014. Yeah, sole uh, original screenplay nominee. Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom is correct. Nice. Wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I just always avoided the Wes Anderson movies for a long time. And now I'm getting, I'm forced to be a part of this a little more. So I watched Royal Tenenbaums last year. Um, I've watched French, French Dispatch recently. And now Moonrise Kingdom. It's a story of a, of a scout troop that's on that's camping on an island and in the middle of the storm about to come in 
you have this love affair of the uh, dejected lower reject of the of the troop and a random girl that's on the island too. Uh, this is like Wes Anderson at his most quirky Wes Anderson-ness. Um, and it really kind of works here. Uh, I'm giving it three stars. Uh, you've got a great Wes Anderson cast. Um, and uh, I mean, you got Bill Murray, obviously. Francis McDormand slides in there. Jason Schwartz, Matilda Swinton. Uh, Bruce Willis does a great job. You've got Bob Balaban as the narrator, which is just funny because he actually just pops up and does stuff and, as the narrator, too. Um, but I think my favorite, my favorite Wes Anderson actor might be Edward Norton because he's amazing he's, in this. He is. Yeah. Well, and he's yeah. just, he's just, he's always good. No one but tries I, not I think like him. It, it just, he just fits in Wes Anderson world. And, um, and yeah, so it, it's quirky. It's fun. It's it, it, um, yeah, the quirkiness can be over the top in some of his things, but I think this one works. Uh, it's not my favorite. I think Grand Budapest Hotel is still my favorite Wes Anderson so far. Uh, but but this one is a lot of fun. So uh, three stars. And oh, there was something else I was going to say about this one. Oh, that's what it was. Now that I've seen Moonrise Kingdom, I fully get the Wes Anderson parody that they did on SNL like 10 years ago, because most of it is Moonrise Kingdom parody where Edward Norton does his Owen Wilson impression. Um, it's brilliant. It really is. So anyways, Moonrise Kingdom, three stars. So I initially liked this movie when I saw it in theaters. I've grown to love this movie. In fact, I would dare say it is my favorite Wes Anderson movie at this point. It's wonderful. I, I, like, I've, you're right, Terry. All the actors work well in it. I, I'm upset that you watched it because I kind of think it would be a cool movie to deep dive 10 years later. I think there's a lot to talk about and unpack in that movie. That movie may come up in a power rankings we do later today. And uh, my one flaw of the movie is that those two kids are so good in that movie. They actually, they actually outact all the actors, like all the professional actors. Like I wanted more scenes of just the kids. I, I, I rewatched this movie in the last couple of years, but they, they have a chemistry that is electric in that movie and I, I don't know what they're doing 10 years later. I know that they reunited for Patterson. They were bus passengers on Adam Driver's bus in Patterson, which was great. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh, that was that's a great, great movie. And I'm, I'm glad you watched it. I think it is way better than Grand Budapest Hotel or French Dispatch. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, it's a great one. I, I don't know if it's my favorite Wes Anderson. I think it's probably Life Aquatic, but... Uh, Edward, Norton, Life Aquatic. Edward Norton is my sporting actor winner that year. I, I think he he's just, I, I mean, doing something you've never seen him do. Uh, maybe in Death Smoochie is the closest thing you you could think of. But yeah, I find That's it really great, funny. Great I find it really funny that um, it was right around this time that he got fired from Marvel for not being a team player. So what does he do? He goes and becomes a Wes Anderson actor and rocks it. I, I just find that really really interesting and then he and then he did birdman right after this which is a huge ensemble piece too i, I think he was just kind of saying you know what screw you marvel i can, and he I made can his be a own team movie. player yeah yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't do a whole lot of anything anymore terry do you know uh tilda swinton's name in uh this movie no it's social services that was always one of my favorite things about it that's her character name <laughs> that's her character name <laughs> yep 
<laughs> I didn't catch that part of it. All right. Uh, let's see here. We're going to go to Zach next. All right. I went on Canopy this week. I watched a movie with 562 votes from 1967. The name of the movie is Spring Night, Summer Night. And this was a movie that was scheduled to premiere at uh, the New York Film Festival in 1968. It was bumped in the program because John Cassavetti's Faces premiered also, and that and it made room for that on the on the schedule. Um, it's a movie directed by Joseph L. Anderson, who is a pretty obscure director. He actually is known for starting the film program at Ohio University. He was a professor of film, and he wrote this little ditty, the Japanese film uh, Art and Industry by two Anglo males, Joseph Anderson and Donald Ritchie, the, you know, quintessential Japanese scholarship, movie scholarship in the 70s. Anyway, Spring Night, Summer Night is a movie about uh, a uh, family in Appalachia, I think maybe Southern Ohio, and there is a mother and father, and they have, they are <laughs> married, um, but they have kids of their own. It's a little bit like the Brady Bunch. And so the two oldest kids, their daughter, Jesse, and their son, Carl, uh, kind of had this incestuous fling going on. It's a little bit understated. They kind of keep it secret. And uh, Jesse gets pregnant and is impregnated by her, her half-brother, stepbrother. We don't know exactly what it is. And they kind of have to deal with the repercussions of it. The title of the movie, Spring Night, Summer Night, alludes to the fact that the movie takes place in two days, but about three or four months apart. Um, you know, the night of uh, the uh, insemination, I guess. And then the aftermath a few months later. I was blown away by this movie. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, it is totally indie uh, cinema from the 60s. Uh, it, this is a movie that was lost. It was restored by UCLA. And the MVP is Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, he has done, I guess, a lot of stuff in the last decade for film restoration. And he financed the restoration of this movie. Um, the sound quality is not great. It's shot on kind of low budget equipment. I'm assuming 16 millimeter black and white. The audio is a little choppy at times, but it is uh, just wonderful to watch. And I give it four stars. Now, when I say four stars, it's not like a Bonnie and Clyde or In the Heat of the Night four stars, which are also 19, great 1957 <laughs> movies. But it's four stars in the sense that that kind of bare bones style that derives a little bit of Eddie's that comes out of the 60s is so much more authentic and ages so much better than like the Dr. Doolittle bullshit of the studio system in the late 60s. And I think this movie is actually really impactful and incredible to watch. And I think it's actually one of the best movies of the 60s. So watch it. It's on Canopy. It's amazing. Be the 563rd vote. It's always great when you can discover something like that. Absolutely. It's why we watch movies. It, it yeah. really is. Like, there's stuff there, you know, it, hey, we're going to review the Batman. Batman. Batman's great, but there are so many, like, like undiscovered classics from that time period that, uh, fortunately, people like Nicholas Winding Refn and other restorers have, you know, sought out and found and are thankfully bringing into uh, uh, more of a appeal and awareness. Awesome. All right. Todd. Sorry that wasn't sexy. It's just a, it's a good movie though. Check hey, it out. I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And Zach, uh, I, I don't think I've ever called anything you've done sexy. So, well, thank you. Well, th this is the first. <laughs> All right, Todd, what did you watch? Uh, so I watched the 2021 Romanian Rada Jude directed movie Bad Luck Banging or Looney Ah, uh, yes. Which, Here we uh, go. Sexy. That's A.O. Scott's. Yeah, exactly. A.O. Scott's number two of 2021. It's about a teacher named Emi, played by Katia Pascuru, 
And um, she films a sex tape with her husband and he uploads it for some reason to some fetish site. But then it starts circulating around to like all these like mainstream porn sites, which creates an uproar among the community and the faculty and the parents of um, her students. And um, she's kind of treated horribly. And the movie is just like a really angry portrait of all that is wrong with society. It's, it's funny, but it's really mean at the same time. It, it's got some of the most, probably the most un, graphic, unsimulated sex I've ever seen in a commercially released movie, which is saying something because I did watch Pleasure a few weeks ago. But it's just like this deeply, caustically critical of like all things from like COVID protocols to consumerism and especially like slut shaming. And uh, the eventual like parent teacher conference that they go through, which is basically like putting her on trial for her job, is just like brutal to watch. But the story is pretty simple, but it's it's a creativity with with which it's um, with which it's told that that makes it something different. It has more in common with Borat than anything else, I think. Like there, it takes like a half an hour in the middle of the movie where it just is like a series of montages, like exposing hypocrisies and horrible things about Romanian culture and history, which is not all this similar to a movie we're going to talk about in a little bit. But no one can make a movie like this in America like this. And the lead actress is really good. The montages are just scathing, though. Like, it, it's shot in a plain Darden Brothers type way where you don't really know if you're watching, like, footage or, like, original content. I mean, it really goes for it, and it's an absolute train wreck, but I was into it for the most part, so I'm giving it three stars. Nice. I think that might win the award of the, the best title of 2021. Yeah. Is it is it the best sex tape film of 2021 though? And we could include Pam and Tommy on that list too. Like it, there's a lot of competition out there. This movie played at a midnight show at the Screenland Armor in, in North Kansas City. I really wanted to go see it. I, I could not, but uh, it would I, have been bonkers to watch a midnight showing of this. The the last like five minutes, like I'm just like, all right, you went there, okay. <laughs> I would. I did not expect you to bring up the Darden brothers in your review of this movie, but that definitely makes me want to see it even more. Well, yeah, I mean, the like all of the scenes, other than like the uh, uh, the montage scenes, are all shot in like that Darden or like Kelly Reichardt way, where it's like it, it feels like you're watching something real, but you don't know if it, it is real or something they shot. It's it, it's really cool. Nice. I think we need more sex movies that are also scathing criticisms of society, you know, like the I Am Yellow movies of the 60s. Like, where where, where have we gone in society that all we want to do is ha have MCU movies? Let's get the European sex scene back, and I think this movie could usher in maybe a new movement. I'm, I'm hoping. I haven't seen it, though, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, that's I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you reviewed it, Todd. It's currently available on video, so you can rent it. It's a novel idea. Netflix DVD. There you go. There you go. All right. It should, it's more appropriate that you should illegally download it, but whatever. Maybe they, missed, <laughs> they missed the joke. Sure. Well played. Well played. All right. Let's move into our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And for our featured review, it's a movie everybody's talking about. It's a movie everybody went to see this weekend. It is The Batman. 
It's not just a call. It's a warning. beforehand on who was going to uh who was going to do the review for the batman who's going to start us off here so i have a coin we're gonna flip the coin and uh and the uh the let's see here we're, we're just gonna go i'm gonna say todd so todd if it's heads you do batman and if it's tails you do the pig farmer and so heads is Batman because bats have heads. I love doing the pig farmer. That's what I'm talking things. about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that a, I, that's a Friends yes. reference, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> clowns and ducks. Yeah, clowns and ducks. Because <laughs> ducks have heads. Anyways, okay, so we're flipping the coin. And it is heads. Todd starts off the Batman. Okay. The Batman is directed by Matt Reeves, and the Batman is played by Robert Pattinson this time, which I say the Batman because there is hardly any Bruce Wayne in this movie. The trailers are pretty much spot on. Like, uh, there is hardly any of Bruce Wayne. He's in his bat suit almost the entire time. The Riddler is played by Paul Dano, and he is a madman out to expose uh, the lies with which Gotham was built on. So he targets the most powerful people in the city and tortures them and kills them for his cause. This includes political candidates, mobsters like Carmine Falcone, played by John Turturro, who I did not know was in this movie, corrupt cops, the corrupt DA, played by Peter Sarsgaard, which is another douche to add to his... Uh, uh, the first thing bar. I thought of when I there saw him go. on screen. Yep. <laughs> uh, and also the rich and privileged, which of course includes the angsty emo Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> Zoe Kravitz plays Selena Kyle, the eventual Catwoman, and she's badass. Uh, she really has some a killer martial arts move. She could have her own movie, honestly. Colin Farrell plays Oz, the penguin, with an Italian accent that would be good enough 
to be better than everything in House of Gucci, but he is unrecognizable. <laughs> and uh, that kind of... should have been the Jared Leto character. That I, th- I, I okay. Agree. I, I hate didn't. I thought it was Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was Colin Farrell until then credits. But okay, keep going. Uh... I know he, he he's brilliant and I love the character because he's out for himself. Like this is why this movie works. I feel like is because these typical villains are only pseudo villains. Like in the dark Knight rises, there were three to four clear villains and they were all uh, like to the point that the movie couldn't focus, but here each one has their own thing going on. Not necessarily even villainous necessarily, except for obviously the Riddler who is absolutely sadistic, but the story is able to breathe. And the movie has this steady, ominous tone throughout, which is absolutely hypnotic. It never really leaves its Michael Giacchino score, which just swells in the background and is doing things that doesn't sound like any other superhero movie score. It just keeps the movie going. You never really want to look away because you're generally along for the ride and you have no idea where it's going. It's It, it also is a series of like David Fincher homages and uh, and stuff like i mean the plot is not all that dissimilar to zodiac but it's played a lot like seven there's an obvious point where it's exactly fight club the and the, there's this electronic punk feeling that is absolutely fincher like definitely a 90s thing and it i also think the movie has a lot in common with the usual suspects like there's this detective story going on where uh, there's one guy behind pulling all the strings like the riddler is basically kaiser soze and kobayashi uh, the action sequences reminded me of Drive. The confrontation scene at the end with the Riddler and, and Batman reminded me of the final scene in Primal Fear, which makes me think that Jeff Paul Dano probably could play the end Norton role in that. Uh, there's a scene where Pharaoh flips out, and uh, he ha- he actually becomes the Al Pacino part in The Recruit, which was entertaining. And I know that was not planned, but it's it, but I, I don't know if anyone's actually going to pick up on that either. Not even <laughs> Terry. Um, but the the actors are all great. Like Pattinson really gets the Batman persona well. Like he's really withdrawn as Bruce, but he, but we hardly see him as that. Like he's just a guy working as a vigilante for years, and we he shows signs of wear, and he still is like has this resentment and anger about everything that's happened to him and his family. And Paul Dano is insane. Like he's he's channeling his characters, and there will be blood and prisoners, and putting them together, and it's just manic and terrifying. Like he's the best actor in the world at working with his facial expressions. And Barry Keegan, I like. Oh, I had no idea that shit was coming. Like this is why DC is behind the MCU in a lot of ways, is because that shit should have been in the post credits because that would have like freaked everybody out. But the movie is a thrill ride. And uh, it's so dark and brooding. I was shocked at how much I was actually taken by it. I, I don't, I don't know the comics, so I can't really speak to any of that. But I dug it. Like, like it's freaking awesome. And I, I can't wait to see where it goes from here because she gets really messed up in the end. And we could talk about spoilers because there are some some problems with that. But I mean, I'm giving it three and a half stars. I thought it was awesome. All right, Zach, what do you think? Okay, so. Uh... Yeah, I uh, I went into this movie with a lot of skepticism. I, as we all know, I'm the big comic book nerd on this podcast. And so I really rigorously adhere to all of the uh, consistencies of the of the C- DC cinematic universe. And uh, so, you know, I was wondering, you know, w- what is this movie? First of all, it's three hours long. OK, so I mean, this better be entertaining on this. On the other hand, it's my man. It's my, my main man, Matt Reeves, friend of the podcast who did my at one point number one movie of 2010. Let me in. I think the guy's really talented. I like Cloverfield. I like Planet of the Apes. So uh, I, I and, and of course, uh, you know, Rob has done some tremendous movies over the last decade. <laughs> 
you know, he's put together quite a solid resume. So I was excited. I was excited, but nervous. And um, I got to say, I, for the most part, I found this movie pretty fun. It was a good experience. Although, again, I think most audiences are going to say it's too dark and depressing to be really considered fun. But here's what DC has over Marvel at this point. And Todd started to, to allude to it, but I'll, I'll kind of continue his, his thought progression here. There aren't any multiverses. Okay, thank God. No multiverses. There aren't any character drops. Now, there are some character drops in the sense that this movie is trying to set up Gotham and probably some spinoffs. There aren't any post-credit scenes. There isn't any winking at the camera. Um, there aren't any cameos from other DC characters. What I also really like about this movie is it didn't try to re it did, it wasn't just trying to redo Christopher Nolan or the Christopher Nolan movies. Like this is not Batman Begins redo redone. We get the sense that, you know, let's just kind of do away with, you know, the character introductions to Batman. Thank God we don't see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. How many times do we have to watch that shit? And uh, it just kind of establishes this Batman as, you know, this vigilante who just kind of shows up on the scenes. We already have a relationship between um, him and uh, Jim Gordon. And uh, the movie doesn't try to be the Nolan movies. It does, however, try to be a little bit David Fincher. It's hard to watch this movie not think about Zodiac 7 or even Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, the feel-bad movie of Christmas, because this is the feel-bad Batman movie of Christmas, I guess. Um, and like Zodiac, this movie is way too long. It doesn't justify the three-hour running length. Um, it, it, I'm not going to say it was boring, but I do feel as though the plot line gets muddled in the middle. And what I didn't like about that either is that this movie does, in the middle, try to be in the origin story that the first hour wasn't. And so I feel like just Matt Reeves, come on, just just <laughs> we know Batman, okay? As a culture, we know Batman. We don't need to have these constant references to off-screen characters earlier on in, in his life. And even framed as this device of trying to solve the mystery. It's like, you know, it's kind of obvious who the mole is. We get that. I think the middle part of this movie needed a little bit more work in terms of the screenwriting. But the first hour and the last hour, I think, are really strong. I, I agree. Rob is really good as Batman. He's got the Kurt Cobain look down. Um, I like that this is more Batman, not Bruce Wayne. We got way too much Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises. I feel like Matt Reeves is kind of doing like a little bit like Larry Brown, the basketball coach. You know, that Batman needs to be rehabilitated as a character after the abuse that Ben Affleck put upon that character. And so like Larry Brown, he's coming into, you know, Southern Methodist or whatever, and he's working his magic. He's only going to be there for a couple years. OK, but uh, this is a rehabilitation project. And I think they're, you know, this is a solid 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, I like the movie. I'm giving it three stars. I didn't necessarily love all of it. Um, I thought Selena Kyle should have had her own movie. This movie does the Lord of the Rings thing at the end where it can't decide how to end. It's got three or four different endings. Come on, just decide it. Let's move on. And then the other thing that it's just more of a comic thing, Batman just shows up in costume, which I kind of dig in a way. Like P Penguin and Catwoman, they don't have costumes in this movie. Riddler doesn't have a costume. Batman just shows up in a costume and no one ever asks him about that. And I kind of, I, I like that in a way, although I guess I want more of an explanation for it. A lot of off-screen costume changes for this Batman. But hey, I dig it. I just wish this movie had been, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. If it had done that, if it cut out the meat, Really good time at the movies. But overall, I got to say I'm impressed. And I would dare say it's probably better than any MCU movie, uh, except for maybe Shang-Chi of the last five years. All right. All right. Yeah, I I went into this not really knowing what to expect, not really, ex really not real expecting much because the bar had been set so high from Batman movies from what Christopher Nolan had done. 
And I was like, really, we're going to reboot this already. What what are we what are we doing here? Uh, and then in three hours, really? It's a four star movie for me. Uh, I I loved loved this movie. I the the running time it it was long. It never felt long. It was engaging all throughout. Uh, I it kept you guessing all throughout. You're right. It has definite Fincher vibes to it. But I, when it comes down to it, this is a noir. Like this is an old school classic film noir. And what I love about it too is you take out Batman and you put in like Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade, or you put in like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman in seven, something like that. And it's the same movie. Like this is, this is not a superhero movie. This is a, a murder mystery thriller noir that happens to have Batman. in, And that's what I loved about this movie. And that's what makes it brilliant. Um, the, Pattinson does a great job. I mean, he's it's a little weird to see him as Bruce Wayne, but like you said, we don't see him that much. And that plays into what makes this movie so great, too, is when you have the too much Bruce Wayne Batman, you get into the whole storyline of, you know, which persona do I go with and all that. None of that. I, this is the first time we just kind of drop into Batman's life in this way since Michael Keaton in 1989. And it works. And, um, Paul Dano is outstanding uh, and all, all the characters are believable and they're real. And uh, this is like the most grounded real superhero movie uh, we've had in a long time. And uh, I, I loved it. And the more I sat on it, the more I just, I, I just kept on falling in love with it as I, as I've been thinking about it. Um, we'll see how a rewatch goes. I'm kind of skeptical on how great it, it'll hold up over a rewatch. Um, but, um, but even, but I, I, I still love four stars, four stars for me. Best film so far this year. Yeah. The reason why the three hours goes along is like what I was saying, cause that score just is like, like the whole time, like it's swelling in the background and it's, it keeps everything. So just like, you don't know if something's about to happen. Like everything seems so gloomy. And, and what I love about Pattinson is like when he actually becomes Bruce Wayne, or when he takes his costume off, like he still has his makeup on. Like they've never done that in any other Batman movie where they take off their mask. And it's like, he's got like dr- dripping makeup because, uh, because he was just out there like working his ass off sweating. And, and obviously he was wearing stuff around his eyes. Like, I mean, it, it just seemed, yeah, it seems so real. It was, yeah, it was a detective movie. It, it, like I said, it was, it was seven. It's usual suspects. It, it, it's a very '90s movie in its sensibilities and, and how it's told. Maybe a little Chinatown in there as well. Yeah, even to the point that when you take out the the Giacchino score, the few times you, they do, they drop in some Nirvana, which fit perfectly for the vibe of the movie too. It was it was a perfect needle drop there. Yeah, so Terry, you said something that really stood out to me. You said, you know, this movie is basically a detective story that just so happens to have Batman in it, and that's why you love it. And that's the exact reason I can't give this movie anything higher than three stars. That's actually the thing that I don't like about it. 
And it kind of goes back to Tarantino talking on the Edgar Wright podcast a couple years ago about superhero movies. In fact, this was going to be my quote of the day, but I'll just read it right now. Is this where we live now to take great movies from the 70s and, and redo them as pop culture artifacts? Taxi Driver is the Joker. Apocalypse Now is Ad Astra. Some weird pop culture artifact of a challenging movie from another time. I mean, that's the problem with this movie. Give me my Somerset. Give me my Mills. I want to see original characters. Th there was no reason that this movie had to be Batman unless you're kind of talking about the back story of Bruce Wayne, which for me was the least interesting part of the movie. Give me some real, original, organic characters. And you could have worked with these archetypes. You could have worked with someone who comes from a privileged background, because that obviously plays into the character. It also plays into the motivations for the Riddler character as well. I just don't know why this movie had to be Batman. And of course, the studio system would say, well, we need to finance this movie. This movie needs to inspire Gotham sequels and spinoffs and TV series and all that. But I just I, I don't see it. And the strength of this movie is the interaction between the characters, the character development, the, the, the scenery is great in it. I agree with all that. I just don't know why it had to be a Batman movie. Did you feel that about Joker, though? Like, because Joker, did, that movie was just yeah, a movie about mental health and it didn't need to be called Joker. But I mean, I don't know. I sort of did feel that. I, I think this was almost my exact criticism of Joker, too, is that Joker was, I mean, Joker was a little, if we're going to say this movie, it was an homage to Seven. I mean, Joker's a straight ripoff of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy at times. But like, I don't know, like it, it has so many good elements to it. And in a way, I don't want to blame Matt Reeves. I think Matt Reeves is a great filmmaker. I mean, he talks, you know, I love Let Me In. He talks about the inspiration of Clute on that movie. There's definitely a bit of Clute in this movie as well. It's just like, is this where we are in a society that any great movie, any sort of original noir storytelling has to be some derivation of uh, a pop culture artifact or something that's franchised? And so, like, I guess my criticism of the movie is a larger kind of philosophical criticism. But that being said, I think this movie is as good as it possibly could have been. And I like and I applaud a lot of the choices that the filmmakers chose to make. I just don't I didn't see it as as necessary for it to be a Batman movie, except to get financed, I guess. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot to that. Um, I find it fascinating that DC is kind of bipolar right now in how they're making their movies. Because you've got you've got Joker and you've got the Batman. And then on the other side of things, like you have the Aquaman sequel and you have the Flash, which I think is getting into multiverses by the way. Um, and uh, you you've got you've got the ones that feel a little more popcorny. You've got Zack Snyder's Justice League. I mean, those those feel different. And then you have these weird random one-off side projects. At least they feel like one-off side projects in Joker. And then this that don't feel like they belong in what and everything else DC is doing. I just find that kind of interesting. I couldn't care less about that. T to to yeah. me, that's the worst part of this movie. But what I will say that this movie does really well, and, and you know, some people said this about the Christopher Nolan movies too. It's not campy. We don't, you know, we we did Batman Forever a couple years ago, and Batman Forever is fun, but it's not a serious movie in any way. And and in many ways, I think it sort of denigrates the the legacy of Batman uh, and the darkness and uh, of the character and the complexity of the character. And I like that this movie is not cheap in any way. You could maybe even say there was a little bit of comic relief in Bale's portrayal of Bruce Wayne, which was a little bit Patrick Bateman at times. This movie has none of that. And I really, I, I applaud it for that. Like I I, I like that it, stu it, it, it stood its ground on the darkness. It didn't make any sort of exceptions. And even, even the, the levity of the Colin Farrell character is still kind of essentially a really dark, twisted character. And it's just, I, I like that that seriousness to it. 
I don't even know if there's that much levity to him other than the fact that once you realize it's Colin Farrell, it's it's quite impressive. Uh, yeah, this did the impossible task of making Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy look glossy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is like word. one scene shot in daylight in this movie. Yeah, that's and that, that's when he's walking up to the courthouse. Like other than that, every scene is dark. Mm-hmm. So Todd, let, let's let's get real for a second. What what were your you you alluded to maybe minor criticisms with some spoilers of this movie? Let's let's do it. Let's do it here. Spoilers from here on out. What 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 are your deeper thoughts about this? Well, no, I mean there is one thing that I do not understand about this movie, and that is why does the Riddler try to kill Bruce? Because if he needed him to get Falcone. He doesn't know he's Batman. He does the whole no, time. No, he doesn't. So you're saying he doesn't know he's Batman until he kills Alfred? No. No, he doesn't even know then. Like it, in, in the boot when when you have they have that showdown in the booth and he's saying Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, he thinks he he's that, saying he knows he, who it is. He says, That's the one guy we didn't get. And then you see and you see Batman's eyes react, which is a great yeah. moment in that movie. That is beautiful visual storytelling, although apparently it went over Todd's head. No, no. That's, see, that's that that's that's after. No. No, that when in, in that showdown between Batman and Riddler, when he's in Arkham. And he starts calling no, he him already, Bruce. He already what? knows. No, he doesn't yes, know. Yes, he does. This is, okay, this is, like, on his wall, he has that thing where it shows it shows uh, the Riddler and it shows Batman when they were kids. And it's it said right next to it, if I only knew then what I know now. He's and, talking about renewal and, and all the stuff with that. He thinks Bruce Wayne is part of the corruption. Th- there's a reason why he targeted Batman. Like throughout all these things, because he knew that Batman. No, was, he was, was never targeting Batman. Said, he was targeting Bruce, no, and he, he thought Batman was going was to be his partner. For the Batman. Yeah, because no. he thought he wanted Batman to be in there with him in that moment to watch the city burn. And he and he knew when he saw Bruce when he was getting arrested. He looked at him and he saw him. That's why he smiled like no. that. He's, 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 no, it no. was it was a wow. see you soon. Okay. He, he said. He said. Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne in that in that inter- that's the first thing he said in the interrogation scene. And so we're meant to believe that he knows that, but then it's clear that he doesn't when he says he was the one guy that I didn't get. He said and he said I did this all for you. I was helping you. Your vengeance, I'm vengeance. We're rooting out the corruption and now the city's going to burn and we're going to watch it here together. That's not what that meant. Yes it is. I, th- I think we need to bring Adam in. Adam is the expert. <laughs> Adam, we have you on the line. Help us figure this out. Oh, I wish. I wish at this point. He would tell us of all of the whole comic book history of this plot line, I'm sure. Can I well, tell you? The, the, I just think his, his wall doesn't make any sense then. If, if, if that's the way you're you're justifying it. Well, Bruce, I mean, it, it, you were meant to think that it was up there because he knew who he was. But Batman was up there because he was doing it to impress him. And Bruce Wayne was up there because he was part of the corruption because he was Thomas Wayne's kid. Can I ask you a spoiler-related question, too, that maybe I I didn't like about the movie? So what I liked about this movie is that Riddler is is a very, like, sacrosanct character. He's very consistent. One of the things I never liked about the Joker is he seemed to have this 
like uh, un unrestricted access to weapons and money and resources. So at the end of the movie, when when you know we see these seven bombs or whatever go off, did the joke? Did Riddler do that, or did his followers do that? He, he did that. He said he said that he did that. He set up he set up detonators. He, yeah. he said in the in the thing that thank you for all the advice on on the dead on detonators yeah see like that's that. what that's what i thought too my wife said no it's his followers i'm like no and and, and it, it was riddler and that, i don't like that that goes back to the joker having un, un you know uh unparalleled access I, I that was the one part of the movie that i didn't buy that the, that riddler was really capable of doing something like that even he says that his strength is in his head not his hands or not his body but he the thing with him though is he's got the army of of foot soldiers helping him out yeah, but you just said he set up those detonators, right? He did, but he was taught how to do it and probably was helped supplied by all his followers. Right. Well, whatever. It's a it's a fairly minor criticism. Yeah. I also want to know who called uh, Gordon to say that uh, the Riddler wanted to talk to him in Arkham. And if that yeah, was... Yeah, that's a good question. And because, and because the way that Gordon looks at, at Batman, it's almost like he said he said he wants to talk to you. He didn't make a thing like, oh, I just got a call saying that they want to talk to Batman or something. He said he wants to talk to you. And it, I, I think that at that point, Gordon got like figured out that it was Bruce. And because and then because then Bruce is like, you're a good cop. And, and like it's like, oh, you didn't just like give me away because everyone everyone could have known right then that I was Bruce or something. I don't know. We could say that Matt Reeves wanted us to have this this debate. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Did All right, you know well, Barry I, Keegan was in the movie? I did not. As the I Joker. Had, I had seen him in like publicity stuff that he was in it, but I had completely forgotten that until I, I saw in the credits that that was him. He, he'd be an amazing Joker. Yeah, yeah, he'll be good. All right. Well, three stars from Zach, three and a half from Todd, four from me. And Adam it's in like theaters. It, right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. We have that confirmed. Yeah, he told, he told me that he liked it. He didn't give me any more details. Hold on. I think I might have it here. Let's let's see. He sent me his movies for the week, and he said the Batman three and a half. So there you go. There you go. All right. Well, it is definitely thrice approved. And if you haven't seen it yet, go see it in theaters. It is worth the three hours for sure. All right. Well, now we're moving on into our Come to the Stable movie. This is where we watch random older movies that somehow come up in conversation and we decide to review them. And this might be the most random Come to the Stable we could have possibly come up with. It goes back to our deep dive last week of Fast Times at Ridgemont High when we discovered that uh, one of the actors in it, what was his name? Emmy Davis Jr., Stan Stanley. Stanley Davis Stanley Jr., Davis Jr. who plays uh Forrest Whitaker's brother, who was one one of us named him the worst performance of the movie. Um <laughs> he only was in like two or three other things his entire career. And one of them was this weird little British comedy named Leon the Pig Farmer that came out in 1992-1993 and only had like 500 votes on IMDb and was available on Tubi. So we're like, you know what? Let's do it. Jewish? Look, I've said I'm sorry. <sighs> <sighs> I can't see what 
are getting so worked up about. So we're all products of artificial insemination. So what? Do we have to talk about this? <laughs> are you joking? We were going to tell you when you were bar mitzvah. And? And. Then we decided to t tell you when you were all married. It sounds fair enough. It's not mum and dad's fault you haven't got married yet. Anyway, I think it must have taken a lot of courage for dad to go through with it. What did you want us to do? Your father has a low sperm count. Do we have to talk about this? You mix them up? You mix them up? It's the pigs, isn't it? You don't like them. No, no, I do. I do. Who's your favourite? Well, I like, uh... Trudy? Yes, Trudy. I like Trudy, and, uh... And Belinda. I know she likes you. Look, the point is, it's not the pigs. Then what is it, Bill? I don't know. I suppose I'm just homesick. Well... What if we made this more like your old home? Would that help? What if we were more like Sydney and Judith? No, that's ridiculous. No, it's a good idea. I saw Ben Hur once. He was Jewish. You're not being serious. And I know a bit about the Quran. Darling, that's for Muslims. Wakey, wakey! Time to get up! We're going to come to the stable this. And so, Zach, tell us about Leon the Pig Farmer. Leon the Pig Farmer is directed by Vadim Jean and Gary Senor. And what I love about that is uh, Vadim Jean puts his name in big font and Gary Senor puts his name it is in small font. Yeah, screw you, Gary. I directed this. Um, anyway, uh, so it stars uh, Mark Frankel as Leon Geller. I don't know if he's related to Ross or Rachel. He lives in uh, London and he is Jewish. And uh, are, are Ross and Rachel Jewish? I think they are, right? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And they have to be related. Your dad is the, Elliot Gould. I mean, that's of true. Jewish. <laughs> like the Chippewa Fall. Remember the holiday armadillo? I don't know. I don't watch Friends. Anyway, um, oh, so. Uh, yeah, so he, at the beginning of the movie, I think he's a real estate agent. I can't quite be sure, but he has a uh, unglamorous departure from the real estate business. And uh, basically, his girlfriend doesn't like him. Because basically, like Jerry Maguire's his way out of there. Yeah, kind of. That's a, that's a good comparison. And uh, his girlfriend doesn't think he's exciting enough. His, his very overly Jewish parents uh, are, are fairly obnoxious. Um, and then one day, he happens to stumble upon a sperm bank, and uh, somehow, I'm not really, I'm still not really sure what happens, but he gets identified at the sperm bank for reasons that the movie never really clarifies, and uh, it's determined that uh, he is the product of not only artificial insemination, but uh, incorrect uh, artificial insemination. Um, and so uh, this comes as a shock to Leon, who is not a pig farmer by this point, but we do learn that his biological father um, is a pig farmer who lives somewhere in you know Yorkshire, wherever the rural region of England is. I, I'm not good with English geography. So he heads out and meets dad, who is definitely not Jewish because he is a pig farmer. And in case you forgot, Leon is Jewish. This movie reminds us about that about every five minutes or so, in case you forgot. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of movies about British Jews, but uh, 
you know, this movie also kind of is like a callback to Woody Allen because it does the thing like in Annie Hall where like the character talks to people on the street and they give him advice about Annie. And it's the same thing in this movie is like, what should I do? And then, you know, the post office worker comes up to him and says, you know, go, go see your father or whatever. Go, you know, he has this other love interest in the movie who's played by Miriam Dabo. I don't I don't know if she's related to Olivia Dabo, but uh, she's very intriguing. She does this weird kind of stained art, stained glass art. And she's a bit loopy. All the characters in this movie are, are loopy. It's a very kind of British comedy that's not too far from kind of John Cleese territory, Monty Python-esque at times. The humor is very irreverent. Uh, and uh, the movie doesn't really have much of a plot. I, I mean, that the plot is there, but it's more to set up these kind of funny exchanges between the characters. By the end of the movie, it's basically a culture clash between you know, these kind of backwards farmers and the urban Jewish family. And they kind of have this unification and they come to, you know, they come to the stable when it comes to uh, figuring out the paternity of Leon, um, who I, I don't believe ever actually becomes a pig farmer in this movie. But um, this movie also has some interesting crossbreeding between a pig and a sheep, which I you got to appreciate at some level. I don't know what to say about this movie. I mean, this is why we come to stable this shit. Who in their right mind would have made this movie? Who would have seen it back in 1992? This movie is like from Mars. It, this, this movie doesn't exist in how movies work in any way. And that being said, I liked it. I, I, I thought it was goofy. It was charming. I think maybe my favorite moment in the movie is when uh, Leon's uh, biological father introduces everybody at the table and it's like, oh, and this is my neighbor and this is her uh, cousin and this is the cousin's son. I mean, I, I like stupid humor like that. This movie, I understand the wavelength of this movie's humor. I like the stained glass. I liked uh the just the, the the quirkiness and just the, the, the this movie is like a shaggy dog movie it doesn't really you know uh, tie up any loose ends it's just weird and goofy and not overly dissimilar to like a british naked gun movie in a way um i'm giving it three stars and you got to be in the right mood for it but i hey i i kind of dug it uh all right i'll go next i'm giving it two stars it was just it 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 had it had its moments. I think my the the part I laughed the hardest was when he sat his his uh, dad that he grew up with down and walked him through the entire thing. And he's sitting there is like, so I went there and became a pig farmer, and then I crossbred a pig with a sheep. And just just the way he's saying it, just so better. And the dad just sit there like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it was it was bizarre and amazing, but yeah, it, it's just a little too weird. It's a little too out there. Um, I will say it was interesting to see some faces. I was like, "Ooh, I know that face." Like his his uh, girlfriend Madeline. She was a Bond girl. She was the Bond girl in The Living Daylights uh, with Timothy Dalton. She was the one that played the cello and then like rode in the cello case as a sled down the hill. Uh, and then the one that was um, the pig farmer's son, uh, Keith, uh, Sean Pertwee, he is, uh, going back to Batman, he played Alfred in the Gotham TV show. Um, nice. So uh, that I, I, I was looking at him, I know that face, I know that face. Uh, anyways, it, it's... It's a little it's a little too out there. And so many of the scenes just feel like, all right, we're going to set this up and then we're going to just kind of let things go. Um, they had this weird plot device that they used way too often about how 
his inner monologue was being told to him by the people on the street that he was walking by. I mean, once or twice, sure, but they did it like four or five times. So, uh, I don't know. It, it You could tell it's a small movie. It's really rough around the edges. And, uh, yeah, two stars for me. Todd? Yeah, I'm between you. I'm giving it two and a half stars, of course. Um, yeah, it's a weird movie. It's got a really weird sense of humor. It, it feels like a Thomas Middleditch kind of comedy. But, oh, that's uh, a good call. It kind of looks my, like Middleditch. A little bit. Uh, my favorite part was Annette Crosby, who plays Doctor Johnson, who who's the one that tells Leon that that they switch the tubes. Like she gives a like, terrific, like matter of fact, very cold five minute performance, and I really dug it. But it gets really weird once they get to the farm. Like it isn't bad. It's not good, but it's just it's just weird. It was. I kept getting reminded of American Pickle, in like how in the sensibilities oh, and how it was told. Good it, comparison. It it also had the vibes of like an Italian movie more than a British movie. But I, it, I don't know. It's a movie about like the family is where you make it, you know, and, and you don't have to follow in anyone's footsteps. And the bacon is awesome, of course. But um, I, I also want to say like props to Tubi for get, getting these like unremovable subtitles on the movie because I could not get them off. But I'm glad that I, they did because I couldn't understand what they were saying necessarily. Like I'm glad I'm, they should do that with Tenet because like it, it just needs like a constant <laughs> subtitles on there. But we chose to do this movie because Jefferson's little brother was was uh, was in it. It was the only other movie credit. And Stanley Davis Jr. is billed as Gutterman. The only time we see Gutterman, he's a middle-aged white man, not a 20-something black guy that uh, he would have been in 1992. Unless I missed something, he is not in this movie. Yeah, I couldn't find yeah, him either. Correct. Yeah, and if you watch the credits, Gutterman is played by Stanley Davies Jr., <laughs> Oh, so it is. Oh. IMDb is the LVP of this. There we uh, go. There so is that, a that misidentification. It. Yeah, because wow. then I was like, "Oh, Gutterman." I was like, "Yeah, no, that's not that. It definitely is not him." Well, that yeah, that solves it. I, I did. I did not start watching the credits. So. Like a Woody Allen movie, there are definitely no black people in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you say that because I couldn't get the subtitles to work on Tubi. Um, Dude, I could not get them off. I was like, why am I subtitles on? I never do this. And I was like, subtitles saying. off. And then it was like, okay. And it was like, it kept going. I was like, oh, maybe I need this. It's it's like watching an Irish movie or whatever. I, do I don't have... think I had, I don't think I had subtitles and I didn't try. So I, I had commercials every five minutes. That was fun. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, I, did that too. I agree with Annette Crosby as Dr. Johnson. I, I was very intrigued by that character as well. I was also intrigued by um, the actual sperm donation scene, which is behind like a very kind of uh, risque, well, it's, it's kind of like a shallow sort of board. And, uh, you know, he didn't even need any magazines or videos. And I was reminded of the scene in Naked Gun 33 and a third when Leslie Nielsen is under similar circumstances and he requests Dances with Wolves. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was, uh, I, you, I think you just, it depends on your sense of humor. I think this kind of stuff is funny. I, I like weird, um, circumstances that are never fully explained, weird characters with offbeat quirkiness and mannerisms. And, um, I, I think this movie would probably go over most people's heads, but uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. Oh, and. By the way, so the, the whole circumstance of how he figures it out, I, if I remember right, he he's working for his mom's catering business and he's delivering a lunch to the sperm donor doctor. That's right. Yeah. And the receptionist thinks he's checking in. And so he looks up his name in the registry and finds it. 
And that's well, how she, the whole thing gets started. I thought she was able to find his name without him looking up anything. And she's like, oh, you're Leon. No, Maybe. I think, I, I think know. it, yeah, I think they figured, or yeah, that's how it went. Anyways. So yeah, two, two and a half, three stars. It's on Tubi. If you want a random British comedy to watch from the early nineties, um, and that's it. <laughs> watch this. I watch me on the pig farmer. Uh, my hot take is: I think it might actually be better than Leon and Pig. Whoa! I, I think it's charming. The, the, I it, it has a charm that those two movies don't have. Those yeah, those movies are not trying to be charming. Just that's maybe the problem. Just throwing that out there. We needed right. more sperm bank scenes in those movies. That's the real problem. Gotta get those numbers up. <laughs> All right, moving on. Power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And... I believe, I don't remember all the circumstances of how this went, because this was quite a contentious uh, Power Rankings finale, I believe. But Zach got to pick. Or no, this one, I think, did Zach, Zach straight up won this one, right? No. It, was nope. la- it oh, depends we, on our definition. I, I won in our normal rules, but Zach got Adam's number one right, so we both got a point, because we took one away from Adam. Oh, that's right. That's right. And so you took us... a point away. Adam said that I won because Todd took a point away from, from him. <laughs> Adam told me that I won because that's how we do the rules. And uh, But I gave you the chance to pick because I don't want to pick. Well, can we change it? Let's, let's, let's be clear about this. Can we change the rules so that the number one gets weighted? Like that, That's more impressive. Getting Adam's number one than getting his number three and four or whatever, right? Or am I crazy? So getting the number one right as number one is like worth two. It should be at least a tie. If you if you get if other oh, someone else wasn't gets it wasn't it others. Zach got Zach got, got the two, number one and that was the only thing he got and I got two other ones. I think and I, neither of them were in the right spot. Let's move on to the twenty first century, right? We we are moving past just a raw number. I think we need to weight them. Terry is a math well, teacher. Come yeah, on. but you're also the one that's like some video game movie or something. <laughs> Or whatever and, and like and that'll be like your number five it's like you're covering like a million things like that doesn't you can't do that i i think it all it all depends on the circumstance of each individual one that's, that's what i'm gonna that's, that's what I'm fair gonna say. and i, I should have won because i pulled that out of my ass works. i got his number one out of my ass man that, that's yeah. a little that's a little graphic was a little graphic there but you know <laughs> all right well Zach, there, got mickey rourke tell tell us what we're doing uh, we are doing uh, best uses of songs in movies, and this is loosely based on the AFI Top 100 Songs list, which really messed us up in, in that trivia a couple weeks ago. Uh, but I thought, you know, um, in honor of that, there have been some really great uses of songs in movies, and uh, they don't necessarily need to be original songs from the movies. In some cases, it might be better if they're not original songs in movies. Um, but I kind of left it up to your discretion. The only kind of parameter we made was we said that uh, we did not want to use Almost Famous because uh, the song, the Elton John song in Almost Famous, uh, Tiny Dancer, is so identifiable with that movie that that probably would be the number one on all of our lists. But we're doing that in the spirit of like the use of Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous. We're thinking of great songs and movies like that. Didn't we just say we weren't going to use Tiny Dancer? 
I think we I just said we're going to use Tanya Dancer. Yeah, we're right. not gonna, you didn't say we're not going to use Almost Famous. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's okay. Yeah, let's just not use Tiny Dancer. That that's acceptable, I guess. I mean, I, I we could have almost made a rule that you weren't allowed to use Cameron Crow because he's he knows his music well. But uh, all right, let's see here. Should I go first on this one? Let's do it. All right, I'm going first. Um, so I tried to stay away from original songs entirely, and uh, and just try to do like known stuff and like. Yeah, that's what I did too. Yeah. That's a different original songs are a different thing. Like if you chose a song from once, then you're you're cheating. Yeah. Uh so so known stuff that you identify with like that moment, that that's kind of what I'm going with. So my number five, um, I don't like this movie, but uh I would say that um it, it's it's uh it's an MCU movie, but I think the these MCU movies. I'm going with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and I'm going with Mr. Blue Sky, uh, because I think that Guardians of the Galaxy movies, although they might that they're some of the weaker parts of the MCU, they have some of the best soundtracks. And um, Volume Two, I kind of hated it, but the best part of Volume Two is the opening credits, which is Baby Groot running around, you know not doing much of anything while the rest of the guardians are getting pummeled and he's listening to Mr. Blue Sky. And uh, it it's like one of the best uses of a song and just kind of a classic song and everything that the soundtracks for those films do. Um, it, it It's a, like a perfect moment of that. So Mr. Blue Sky, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, that's my number five. Don't remember that. I don't I've never seen that movie, but I would use that same song, but in Internal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Like when I hear that song, I think of Oh yeah. See, I, I'm I'm thinking Baby Groot. Like like when I was thinking I'm like great music and, and that baby Groot dancing around while everyone's getting getting beat up is is what popped into my head almost instantly. So that's my number five. All right, Todd, number five. So I only chose one Tarantino use uh, of a song because he has got like a million. Um, but mine is About Her by My- Malcolm McLaren great, from Kill the Void 2. Great pick. Because I've never heard that song before. And that song just has this this vibe that just is so perfect for when she puts BB to bed. And it's a, my man got a heart. And then it's like, no no one told me about her like i like I'm, I, that song is perfect for that that moment and it just like lulls along for like four minutes and, and it's just i love it it's it's one of it's one of my favorite moments in kill bill volume two yeah i didn't pick anything from the kill bills but if i did i probably would have gone with uh bang bang my baby shot me down even though it's just like opening credits it's like the perfect mood setter for the whole movie I was thinking we could do this top songs used in Tarantino movies or, <laughs> or Kill, Kill Bill Volume Two. Kill Bill Volume because I would go with Mal Grain as Salle Rosa at the end of that movie, um, or Rufus's The Man, uh, his rendition of Love Me Tender, which actually is never sung, but I would have loved to hear it. Or, or the the in Kill Bill Volume One, the them singing the what are they the one two threes or oh yeah the the, the yeah the one two three fours yeah the that you oh, could yeah, do yeah, yeah. l driver the whistle you could do battle without honor or humility 
which is right before the climactic fight. See, the problem is Tarantino movies and Scorsese movies are almost too obvious. I almost thought about saying let's not use those, but on the other hand, that's sort of what inspired this list. Yeah. I didn't use any Scorsese. I have one Tarantino. All right. And no crow. All right, Zach, number five. I might as well just get, I originally had this higher, but I'm just, because I think it's too easy to do a Tarantino movie. So I'm just going to get my Tarantino out of the way. And that is from Jackie Brown. There's only really two songs you can choose from Jackie Brown, even though it's a, it's a killer soundtrack. I went with the more obvious one, which is across 110th Street. It opens Up the movie. on 110th Street. Closes the movie. Jackie sings to it at the very end of the movie. You can so one of my cardinal rules of this list, which I had way too much fun and way too much time thinking of, is because I love music and movies. I mean, honestly, I think pretty much all all these songs are way better because of the movies than just the songs themselves. But anyway, uh, if you hear 110 across 110th Street, you're thinking of Jackie Brown. You don't think of anything else. Like that is the total context for that song. And now it will ne you'll never be able to think of anything else. And uh, that's it. The only other, the only reason it's number five is because truthfully, if you're being truthful to Jackie Brown, you really got to go with the Delphonics because the movie is about the Delphonics. And Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time plays a much more significant role in the story of that movie. Um, it's actually diegetic. It's in the story, whereas Across 110th Street is just in the opening sequence and it's non-diegetic. But be that as it may, it's a great opening song, great opening to the movie, and it's my Tarantino pick. That's a great one. That's a great one. Love it. I actually kind of had trouble coming up with this list. And I don't know why, but just thinking about like individual songs really? in moments and movies. Yeah. For some reason, it I, I don't have I don't I make that do, connection as much. I could do a top 100. I, oh, I have sure. so many. I, I wish I could. I don't know. I like I'm almost better like identifying scores than songs from movie moments. It's weird. Um. Yeah. So my number four, though, uh, I mean, we talked about it, one of the quintessential 80s teen movies uh, last week. And my number four is from a quintessential 80s teen movie. Um, and it is one that almost feels like the soundtrack to the movie, but it is it, it, it is its own song. It's called Oh, Yeah, by the Yellows. And it is from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nice. Oh, yeah. I mean. You iconic. can't think, yeah, it's iconic. You can't think of Ferris Bueller without thinking of the boom, boom, boom. Oh, no, I would have thought that was the original score. Yeah, no, it's some song by some, <laughs> some like European band, Yellows, and it, it's called Oh Yeah. And as I was looking it up, I found it on one of the lists. I'm like, wait, that's, that's actually a song? And it's a song. So, uh, yeah, Oh Yeah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's my number four. Yeah, I feel like that song also got used in some really trashy teen sex comedies, like from later in the 80s and early 90s. I can't remember what it was in, but like some really bad ones. Like the one where Tony Danza thinks his daughter's hot. I think they use that in that in that scene. She's growing up or whatever that horrible movie is called. I can't remember. I don't know. It was probably not another teen movie, too. Probably. Yes. Probably. Yes. Which of all the of all the random spoof movies not another team movie is actually really funny chris evans captain america main character in that i think leon the pig farmer is way funnier than not another team movie <laughs> todd number four my number four is my cameron crow pick and it is from say anything it's in your eyes by peter gabriel which is 
probably the most iconic thing that I'm going to bring up, but it's just, I mean, it's been, it's been like spoofed and whatever a lot, but I mean, it's like, he just he probably goes not another teen movie. Yeah, exactly. He holds <laughs> up his boom box and lets the song say exactly what he wants to say. And that, that is w- what's brilliant about it. And also kind of like, okay, maybe that's lazy writing at the same time, but I mean, saying anything's a perfect movie. And, uh, in your eyes, by Peter Gabriel, that I'll never hear that song without thinking of that scene. Yes. Nor will anybody else. No yeah. one will dispute that. I still love the the whole story of the the line from Almost Famous coming from an interaction Cameron Crowe had while hanging out with John Cusack. Uh, when uh, someone came up to him and said, hey, are you Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything? And he said, yes, on my better days, I am Lloyd Dobler from Say Anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's, Zach. So that's your four. one crow pick, then. You're not going to pick something from Almost Famous, then. No, I mean, well, I wasn't going to because we put the stipulation, but we didn't actually say that we weren't going to just not use Almost Famous because I know that we both have one that we love in Almost Famous more. Oh, well, just, we, again, this whole list could be Almost Famous songs, but I know, but there's one in particular that we both have a common yes. For. We'll okay. bring we'll, it up we'll, later. We'll mention it in honorable mention. <laughs> Fever Dog, it, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> All right, Zach, number four. All right, I believe it or not, I'm actually going to TV for my number four. I really try to not go to TV, but I thought this song was so well used in this short-lived TV show. The TV show is Freaks and Geeks. I don't know if you guys are fans mm-hmm. of it. Of introduced the world to Seth Rogen and you know James Franco and Apatow and everybody. At the end, at the end of the first episode, do you guys know what song I'm talking about? I haven't seen Freaks. I don't think so. Really? Wow, Terry. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Um, so at the end of the first episode, it's all it's this big dance that they're having, right? And Sam is there, and uh, the Linda uh, Cardinelli character, Lindsay, is there. They're all there, and Sam wants to dance with Cindy, who's his crush. And the song "Come Sail Away" by Styx comes on. And if you know that song, it kind of starts out as a slow song. So Sam is getting up like the the uh, you know. Um, uh, confidence to ask this girl of his dreams to dance to a slow song and it's like the end of the dance and she's said that you know i'll, I'll keep I'll, I'll remember you and so he's like uh will you dance with me and she's she kind of looks at him quizzically is like are you sure like oh i'll dance with you but he kind of takes that as rejection the truth is one day at the moment that he starts putting his arms around her and starts leaning into her for a slow dance that's when the song gets super fast and that's when they actually start dancing and it's a great metaphor for that character who's like 12 or 13 years old john francis daly and it's a great metaphor because it kind of shows that he's not quite mature enough for a slow dance quite yet let's just have him enjoy being a kid I think that is a remarkable use of that song. Like I love it. Per- it's it's perfectly set for the time period. It's a song that would have been played at a dance like that. It starts slow, it goes fast, and it, it reinforces the character beautifully. And Apatow quietly uses music beautifully. I've come up with a couple of other Apatow picks as well, but that one to me is the best. It's the best TV example. Nice, nice. I don't necessarily remember that moment, but I, I do need to watch it again. I've only seen that show one time. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's it's worth returning to every... We, we watched... We binged it during the uh, COVID at, at one point, but it's it's so awesome. It's, it's a great series, and that's a great moment from the series. All right. Number three on my list. I mean, it's really not fair because 
she's lost that love and feeling <laughs> from Top Gun. Of course. Of course. I mean, it it was it had been it was already a song at this point. Like it was a known thing, but best use of song. I mean, just someone randomly singing it to a girl on a bar stool and then an entire bar full of sailors just belting at the top of their lungs. You've lost that love and feeling it. And, and then it, it does make a comeback at the very end and, and it plays during over the closing credits. I mean, it's, if you're talking about best use of a song, it, it, there's, there's not much better uses than, than that right there. And talk about iconic and not being able to think of anything else. When you hear that you've lost that love and feeling from top gun. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a, it's a Terry pick. Totally I, I don't is. know if, if it would be a, a serious. Yeah. I think it's more of a think piece actually, but okay. <laughs> uh, I love that song. I love that movie. All right, Todd, number three. My number three comes from my number 59 of all time. And that is, uh, it is a song by the ghetto boys. It comes from office space. And that is damn, it feels good to be a gangsta. <laughs> because the use of that song in that movie is just bliss. Like, I mean, he <sighs> like, he, like in that scenario, him doing what he's doing is absolutely him being a gangsta in his own mind. And like, just <clears throat> what is going on when he's, you know, taking the screws out of the, the doorknob and he's, he's knocking over the, the sides of his cubicle I mean, you just like feel like, okay, king of the world right there. And uh, I've never heard that song in any other context, but it's a, it's a amazing use of a song. That's a great one. That's a great I, one. I have no recollection of that song in that movie. Ben, you yeah. haven't seen the movie. Damn, it feels good. <laughs> it's been a while. Gangster. Oh, God, it has been a while. So good. All right, Zach, number three. All right, my number three movie comes from yeah, it's it's I believe it's a movie in my top twenty-five, top thirty. Terry just watched it within the last year, so I'm hoping he remembers it. The movie is Boys in the Hood, and mm. a lot of great music in that movie. But the song that stands out to me is not an R&B song. It's not a rap song. It's a song that is a classic. Ooh, child, by the Five Stair Steps, I believe. Ooh. And uh, ooh, child, things are things gonna, gonna get easier. easier. I mean, that song takes me back. Uh, not that I grew up in that neighborhood in that time. Like, Another Guardians song, by the way. Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course, because they, all they did is just rip off <laughs> songs. But uh, that song takes place at the transition point of that movie. The movie starts out with a flashback of young Trey's life as he meets his friends Ricky and Doughboy. And he goes to live with his dad, uh, Larry Fishburne. And uh, but, you know, um, they're maybe eight or nine years old. And then the, and then uh, Doughboy gets arrested and they go off in the police car. And then Singleton just brings in that ooh child to transition to the present day. Beautiful, beautiful. It, it's beautifully done. It's a great song. I cannot think of any other context where that song has worked as well. And when I hear that song on the radio, I think about, oh, this is when Trey grew up. And uh, after Doughboy got arrested and got sent to jail, and then he comes back later at the party, and everybody's grown up a bit more. Uh, great, great scene from a great movie, and uh, perfect use of that song. See, I, I, seriously, when I, 
as soon as you mentioned that song, I thought of the scene at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy when the oh. bad guy's about to win and uh, Peter Quill just starts singing it a cappella. Ooh, child, things are gone. And it distracts him to the till they can win. That is a travesty. I yeah. think Guardians of the Galaxy has destroyed uh, a lot of these great songs from the 60s and 70s that have otherwise been used in great movies. Um, it's Or they've brought them back. That's what they I would mean, say. But I'd, I'd say that's fair to say they brought them back. Yeah, it's it's a good pick. It's a good pick. All right. Number two on my list is my Tarantino pick. Um, for me, when I think Tarantino, nothing's more iconic than girl. You'll be a woman soon. I, it, it, and yeah, just better that, than Son of a Preacher Man. Yeah, that, that's the best one. Yeah, yeah it, it's the best one and the best scene. Watching Uma dance around to that, and then how the whole scene ends up. It, it's it's just it's just brilliant. And I, that of all the songs in Tarantino movies, that is the one that I most identify as a Tarantino song and with a specific Tarantino moment. It's because it's a remake of a song too, which makes it even. Even yeah. more perfect because I've heard Orange. the original and the original is not would not have fit in that scene. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So yeah, number two on my list. You'll be a woman soon. Pulp Fiction. Great pick. Is is that the one or was it Son of a Preacher Man that Tar- Tarantino said he wouldn't have made the movie if he hadn't gotten the rights to it? I think it was one of those two songs. I can't remember. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, they're both they're like the same scene. So I don't. I mean, yeah. Is what maybe he wouldn't have shot that scene if he, he if he didn't have the rights to it. But I, I can't remember. There's some story about that. But obviously, that's you can't have that scene without that song, and you can't think of that song without thinking of the movie. Absolutely. All right, Todd, number two. My number two is my TV pick, and it was the only TV pick that could possibly be used. It is there was a song by Tommy James, and it is in Breaking Bad. It is Crystal Blue Persuasion? Because I mean, there's how else are you going to use a song like that? Like, I I, I mean, the song like kind of had a resurgence after that, just because it shows the montage of you know Walter White's operation and going all the way through his process through this international distribution. And Crystal Blue Persuasion seems like it could have been written for that scene. And I I known the song before, but now I will never think of it in any other way but in in terms of breaking bad season five the best season of tv ever yeah it's a great pick the 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 issue is i would maybe have two songs over it one would be uh baby blue by bad finger which ends the series because you can't hear that song without thinking of breaking bad and then the one this is more of a quirky sort of personal pick but that season one episode with wendy and the prostitute wendy you can't get that out of your mind. So those two would rank a little bit higher, but of course, in terms of iconicity, you can't go wrong with Crystal Blue Persuasion. Oh yeah, and like the perfect fit. Like I mean, the lyrics in the song could not be put in a more perfect situation. Then, now, did you want? Did you even consider the Los Poyos Hermanos song in the music video that accompanied it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But I mean, you I probably should have. You yeah. should have. You should have. <laughs> All right, Zach, number two. All right, uh, my number two pick is, uh, is it really a hit song that goes with a movie? Um, I'm going to say yes, even though it's a national anthem. 
and it is La Marseillaise in Casablanca. And I don't know if it really fits the spirit of this list, but I had to include it somewhere. It is the scene where, uh, you know, the tensions are boiling in Rick's Cafe American. And, uh, you know, we've got the German troops playing their national anthem. And then we've got Laszlo who, you know, comes in and, uh, you know, he says, play La Marseillaise, play it. And then, of course, Rick is the one that says, you know, okay, he gives the signal. And then they play it. And everybody in the, in, in the Rick's bar stands up and they sing it. And it's a beautiful moment of patriotism and liberty and justice. And it's everything that uh, Frank Capra ever wanted to do in his movies, but much better done by Mar Michael Curtiz. And uh, again, I don't know if it's a great use of a song. I don't know if it per se is the perfect definition for it, but it's a movie I had to include in my list. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a movie that I think uh, makes me, you know, uh, get chills every time I watch it. And uh, it's one of the many things that makes Casablanca a great movie. As Time Goes By might have been the number one song in Casablanca. That's the, you know, the one that everyone would pick. But if we're talking about iconic moments in the movie, uh, there's nothing greater than La Marseillaise in Casablanca. That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, as time goes by, it's the more iconic, but talking about one that has a better moment in the film, it's that. For sure. All right. On to number one. Number one on my list. It's it's a classic one, but as I was thinking about it, no, no song is more like just iconic and chilling and just perfect for the moment. Quite like singing in the rain from a clockwork orange. Wow. Was nice. not expecting that. Yeah. Nicely uh, done. Once I got that in my head and, and thought of that one, I, I'm You're twisted, man. It, that nothing not is more twisted than singing in the rain from a clockwork orange. I'm not even that big of a fan of that movie, but the first like 10, 15 minutes of that movie. From the from the the zoom in shot and a half of his, stars it says on our website. I know from the like zoom in shot of his <laughs> eye, and then that scene where he's just kicking the crap out of these people while he's singing, singing in the rain. I mean, you can't get that out of your head. And I mean, yeah, it's singing in the rain. You think singing in the rain, the movie, but honestly, that's like the fifth best song in the movie, singing in the rain. Um, but if you want to talk about just the best use of a song, Clockwork Orange, that's just brilliant. It's also used in Leon the Professional. When, yeah. When she's like dressing up like all these people that try to, whatever, their whole game they're playing. Yeah, I'm, that'd be like saying, I'm going to pick I Feel Pretty from Anger Management, though. I mean, that's just a, yeah, it's... That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So no, it's an Clark amazing Court. pick, Terry. I mean, I would not, I was not expecting that either. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I am to surprise. <laughs> All right, top well, number one. I'm going a little off the board for my number one. It's uh, it's from Get Out, and it's the opening sequence, but Redbone by Childish Gambino, because that song is an amazing song and the the fact that it opens with that it kind of lulls you into this like sweeping thing it doesn't really you don't really know what you're going to expect from the rest of the movie it really kind of gives you a false sense of security until like the actual you know drive out to the house happens like that song i i, I i've never heard a more perfect use of a song that is super popular than that 
And it, it was one of the first things that I thought of when, when, when this list came up. And uh, maybe it's not the actual objective best, but I mean, I it, everything that Jordan Peele does, even in his trailers, is is perfect for uses of songs. And I, I, I absolutely love the way he used Redbone. Are we going to talk about the Nope trailer before Batman? Did you guys see that? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I'm again a great, a great, a great song too. <laughs> I don't remember the song. What was the song that was in that trailer? I don't remember what the actual song was. I just remember I was, I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, and then I realized it was Nope, and I was like, oh yeah, okay. I did not expect like when it when it started with like the green screen cow or whatever. Or no, it was it a horse? I was like. What is this? I I, I know I, I didn't know Daniel oh, Kaluuya. Like, oh, was like, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya. He, he looked oh. like he was in Widows again with that that, that look on his face. <laughs> it's like it gradually got clearer and clearer to me that this is nope. This is the new Jordan Peele movie. Oh crap! I was not expecting that. It's coming out in July too, man. That I can't wait for that. Yeah. Do you, Do you guys like vividly remember the opening of Get Out though, the way I do no. with with the song? No. No, I'll okay, watch it watch again. It. You'll be you'll nope, be nope. <laughs> I see what you did there. I, I see that. See that? That that's another thing you gotta say. You get you gotta love about Jordan Peele's movies is he he has like these perfect names, his perfect titles that can just be are just regular names, words, phrases, and it it works. It works. All right. Zach, number one. See, this is what I love about this podcast. We are pulling no punches here. We are choosing our. We're not. We're not the bullshitters. We're not choosing the songs that everybody else would choose. We're choosing, you know, a, a, a song from Get Out that no one knows except for Todd. Terry's no, childish Gambino. Come on, well, everybody just, knows I, that song. Okay, we didn't remember it. I'm sure <laughs> lots of people remember it. Terry, you know, obviously he's the depraved one on this podcast. He's going for something, you know. I mean, he went to the sex movie in Portland by himself. Like we know his mind. He's just he's he's messed up. I'm gonna go for uh, a pick that is a purely Zach pick. I don't think Terry's sex seen this movie, movie according to the website. I have no idea what that's referencing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't either. This, didn't you see some sex movie in Portland by yourself? Am I crazy? No. All right. I don't think so. We'll, you might be talking. Are you talking about that random musical I watched? Yes, that was it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, did I make you watch that one? More exciting as a sex. I forget movie. what it's called. Bad luck or banging Looney. <sighs> Hello again or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Let's just say it was a sex movie. It's more interesting now. <laughs> anyway, my number one song. I texted this back to in like maybe October to Todd when I came up with the idea for this power ranking. And uh, this, this is the song that inspired this list. And the movie is The Virgin Suicides, one of Todd and my favorite movies, I believe, of the late 90s. And the song, never seen it. I, yes, according to our website, you have not seen it, which is shameful. That's going to yeah, be no. an assignment at some point. Probably um, next podcast. Probably. Uh, <laughs> the, the song is Crazy on You by Heart. So the scene occurs midway through the movie when <clears throat> Josh Hartnett is trying to be a stick man. Also, one of the great amateur stick men uh, is Josh Hartnett in that movie, Trip Fontaine. Also could have been on our list of greatest uh, potheads as well. Anyway, he's trying to, you know, uh, spruce himself up a little bit, make an impression on James Woods and Kathleen Turner because he wants to go out with their daughter, Kirsten Dunst. And they have this kind of civilized dinner and everybody in the family's there. The Lisbons are a very conservative family. 
And then it's like, well, the family's all sitting there. He's not going to get to first base. Like, this is this is not going anywhere. So they kind of politely say, oh, good night. Okay, good night. I'll see you. And you know, as a great stick man, it's just regret, right? Because you can't, you can't, you know, you're, you're not doing what you were sent on this earth to do. Gets in the car. We start hearing those initial guitar strings and strains from the heart song. It's it actually it's a little bit like the Freaks and Geeks song. It kind of starts out kind of slow. You don't know where it's going, and then bam! Pearson Dunst jumps in the car, gets all over him, and they start furiously, passionately making out. And the electricity, the sexual energy from that scene has never been duplicated in another movie. I mean, that scene, except for maybe the opening scene of, C of Speed, no other scene turns me on in a movie quite like that. It's a great moment. The cinematography, the backlighting, the, the night scene, the, the, the you know, the uh, being in a car together. The best part of it, though, is that she leaves, runs back to her house, and what does he do? He pulls out her retainer from his mouth. Perfect. Great moment. Great scene in that movie. And it, it, that song, you, you'll, when you watch that movie in two weeks, Terry, you will never think of that song the same way again. It's not like the most famous part of that movie, but to, to me, I cannot think of another song being used in that scene. And I also can't think of that song now without thinking of that scene. I've said that numerous times already, but I'll just repeat it. That song more than any other. You know the scene I'm talking about, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a great choice. And yeah, I remember us talking about that. All right. All right. Trust Let's, me, uh, you'll agree. Okay. All right. Let's recap five to one and then go over some honorable mentions. For me, number five, Mr. Blue Sky from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number four, Oh Yeah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Number three, You've Lost That Love and Feeling Top Gun. Number two, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon from Pulp Fiction. And number one, Singing in the Rain from A Clockwork Orange. Todd. Number five, About Her from Kill Bill Volume 2. Number four, In Your Eyes from Say Anything. Number three, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta from Office Space. Number two, Crystal Blue Persuasion from Breaking Bad. And number one is Redbone from Get Out. Zach. Nice. Number five, Across 110th Street from Jackie Brown. Number four, Come Sail Away from the first episode of Freaks and Geeks. Number three, Ooh Child. Not from Guardians of the Galaxy, but from Boys in the Hood. Number two, La Marseillaise from Casablanca. And number one, from The Virgin Suicides, Crazy on You, by heart. All right. So some honorable mentions. Um, first, I, I haven't seen it yet, but from what I've heard, I'm surprised neither of you said Bye 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 from Red Rocket. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Damn it. One. <laughs> that is a good one. I don't think it would make my top five, but that's a great honorable mention. Yeah. All right. So really, really close. My number six was Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate because that's just, it's an original song, but it's such just mm -hmm. a perfect song for that. Um, I also have uh, the biggest snub at this year's Oscars. So may we start from Annette. Um, if I was going to pick a Cameron Crow song, I was going to pick Free Fallen from Jerry Maguire. Um <laughs> that would be your camera crow pick yeah that's that's what i go with that, i don't know you are off your rock i am but it's a great it's a great one though. i remember that great song scene, from the but dude. super bowl more than more than jerry Maguire. uh okay uh i got uh springtime for hitler from the producers um i don't i todd and i have looked for it we never found the actual title of the song but i'm just gonna say silencio from mulholland drive oh um, yeah that's a good yeah it's a, 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 a rondo 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from uh, Club it's, Silencio. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yep. That's a great, uh, great pick. You redeemed te- yourself slightly. Tequila from Pee uh, Wee's Big Adventure. Nice. Um, uh, if I was gonna go, Apocalypse Now has some great music too. But the end from po- Apocalypse Now by The Doors. That's a great one. And then I've got a few that like every song from the soundtrack could have been picked. Like pretty much any song from Forrest Gump could have been picked for this. But the one that stands out is Running on Empty. Um, and then any song from Remember the Titans could have been picked. Mm. Um, especially, uh, oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Which is playing when Gary gets in his car accident. Um, and then uh, any song from Moulin Rouge, the way they use known songs. Like like uh, your song by Elton John or Roxanne by the Police is just brilliant. And the last one I'll mention, of course, is Kings and Queens from the Owls of Gahul trailer. Of course, of course, of course. Yes. All right, Todd. Okay, so my, the ones that have been mentioned already, I have. Oh yeah, girl, you'll be a woman soon. Yorando and Bang Bang from Kill the Volume One. My video game pick would have been uh, Flirting with Disaster from NASCAR 2000. Which I know Terry would uh, <laughs> agree with. Um, my pick that would be most similar to uh, Tiny Dancer would be uh, "Can't Take My Eyes Off You" by the Four Seasons and the Deer Hunter, which is used multiple times. Oh yeah. Uh, Where is my mind from Fight Club? Obviously, is is a uh, is a perfect use of a song. I've never heard this song in any other context like that. Um, we found love from American Honey, which I believe is the scene where like they first meet Shia LaBeouf's character and it's playing in like a grocery store. It, it, it's a, it's an awesome scene. He gets like on top of the shelves and starts dancing. Uh, California dreaming from chunking express. Uh, Don't stop believing from monster, which is impressive that a movie can actually make me think of it when it's such a, the mo- maybe the most popular song of the last 30 years um, or 40 years. I don't know when that movie, that song actually came out. Um, then there's a uh, girls just want to have fun from a hysterical blindness, which is a TV movie with Uma Thurman, which I, I I can only think of that movie when I hear the song. <laughs> Don't dream it's over from uh, the perks of being a wallflower, which is another song that everybody knows, but like I only think of that movie. And the one that honestly probably was my number one and should have been my number one because it's been my number one on like four different power rankings we've done is every time in Spring Breakers. Oh yeah. But I, I decided not to go with it this time because I don't know. I don't know how many times I could bring up Alien in, in, on <laughs> on our podcast, but I think it's I think it's like four times. So always once more. I think that that's the that's the answer. Always once more. Always once more. How many times can you bring him up? Always once more. All right, Zach. Is that a quote. I I don't think so. It should be. It should yeah. be couple of responses to Todd's list. Uh, yeah, Don't Stop Believing is obviously great. The, the issue with it is that it's also associated with the end of The Sopranos. So I like I almost feel just torn between them. But you, you and think I of think of Glee. So but this but in Monster, it's also like uh, when you when you were talking about uh, Virgin Suicide, that's what I was thinking of was like the scene in Monster, because that, that is a, also a very like aggressively romantic scene. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I, oh, and, and I forgot to mention that the song in Almost Famous that Zach and I love is Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter, Mad Hatter's. Yes, which is a scene where Penny overdoses, which is and you'll a, never, you'll never, song. you'll never hear that song and not think of that scene. So that yeah. really, for my definition, this list is perfect for the list. I also thought you were going to go with God Bless America from The Deer Hunter. What happened, man? I, I had a song from The Deer Hunter already, but yeah, I mean, 
I guess that was a little, that, that's a little too cute. Anyway, uh, okay, I'm going to try to go through these kind of fast. Uh, anything from Scorsese, I would go uh, Layla or Sid Vicious is My Way from Goodfellas, Rags to Riches, but also then that Darlene Love Christmas song is great in Goodfellas. Um, you could also go Give Me Shelter, but mostly I would say th that in, in the opening of The Departed. We could go with Hip to Be Square from both American Psycho and Naked Gun 33 and a third. Bra or Seminod, I can't, I don't know, or Bra by Seminod in 25th Hour. That's a scene where they're, they're at the party in the club. House of the Rising Sun at the beginning of Best of Youth. Todd knows what I'm talking about. Sale at the beginning of Disconnect. Photograph and Funny People. Immigrant Song at the beginning of Girl of Dragon Tattoo. Night, Craw Night Call at the beginning of Drive. That's a great song. Uh, I've never heard that song yes. anywhere else. Uh, we'll Meet Again in Dr. Strangelove. Dude Looks Like a Lady in Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, and then a couple of unconventional picks. I went, uh, I got you, babe, in Groundhog Day because that's what he wakes up to every morning. Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon and Meet the Parents. The song by the the weekend in Uncut Gems. Um, and then I would also I alluded this to this earlier, but the the French song in Moonrise Kingdom. I mean, that's now now that's the Wes Anderson song, and uh, he originated it, I believe, in Moonrise Kingdom. And uh, rapidly, Goodbye to Me, the Harry Nilsson song, and Lars David Bowie from Worst Person in the World and Licorice Pizza are becoming so identifiable with those movies. You're, you're, I can't think of them without hearing those movies. And then the last one, my video game pick was Green Day's American Idiot from Madden 2005. Really great time in this country, a great song in this country. And uh, yeah, that, that was only a Madden song. So I was honestly going to go with... Green Day's uh, uh, from uh, Snake Eater. Terry knows the song. Uh, Boulevard, oh, Boulevard of Broken, of Broken Dreams. Dreams. Because that... we listened to that song while playing that scene. Yeah, it, <laughs> but, it actually well... isn't in the movie, but I don't know if we ever actually listened to the song. We just always sang it. Yeah. Yeah. If and I was going to go with a video game pick, I would have I would have gone with I Ran from uh, GTA Vice City. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Too. yeah. Or or um, White Wedding from uh, San Andreas. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good one too. It's a good one too. But All right. With disaster from NASCAR 2000. I'm that, that's the perfect. Down the road, yeah. I'm flirting with disaster. The, oh, yeah. the perfect use of that song. Totally. Totally. Uh, okay. All right. It's time to try and predict Adam's list here. Um, I think I kind of like the fact that like most of mine haven't even been mentioned yet. So we'll see how that if that, that's a good thing. So uh, my predictions for Adam's list, number five, Bohemian Rhapsody from Rain's World. Uh, number four, Hooked on a Feeling from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, number three, Deo from Beetlejuice. Uh, number two, I Got You Babe from Groundhog Day. And number one, Stuck in the Middle with You from Reservoir Dogs. That's a solid Adam list. And my number five is America the Beautiful from The Sandlot. Number four is Stuck in the Middle with You from Reservoir Dogs. Number three, Stars Are Blind. By Paris Hilton from Promising Young Woman. That's got to be on this list, right? Uh, number two, I Got You Babe from Groundhog Day. And his number one is obviously I'm shipping up to Boston from The Departed. All right. All right. Zach? Yeah, I had that. Okay, so uh, number five was Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. Number four was Shipping Up to Boston from The Departed. Number three, Aquarius Let the Sunshine In from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Nice. Oh. Num Yes. Number two is the French song in Inception, the, the Edith Piaf song. And oh, uh La Vie and Rose? Isn't that uh, La Vie and Rose? Yeah, whatever the whatever the French song is that, yeah. that they play. And then the number one was Bohemian Rhapsody in uh Wayne's World. 
Wow. So the, all those that we never mentioned were the ones that we predicted for. <laughs> <laughs> Stars are right. coming up on this list. I'm surprised it wasn't on Terry's list because it was his number 50, what, six of all time. Yeah. 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 All right. Now, honorable <laughs> men. That's see, the, this is how great I am at, at remembering songs and moments like that. All right. Honorable mentions for Adam's list. We have uh, The Times They Are a Changing by Bob Dylan from uh, Watchmen. Watchmen. It kind of ruined that song, but okay. Um, Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues Explosion from Baby Driver. Uh, Man of Constant Sorrow by the Soggy Bottom Boys and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That's a great pick. Um, Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. From yes. God damn it. Lambs. That's a great pick. That should be. It, why haven't we mentioned that song? Okay, sorry. I don't know. Okay. Uh, you can never Great tell point. by Chuck Berry from Pulp Fiction. Oh yeah, by Yellow from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and uh, Can't Stop Me Now by Queen from Shaun of the Dead. All right, that's his honorable mention. So, his his list number five, from The Departed. I'm shipping up to Boston by yes. Dropkick, Mur- Dropkick Murphys. Uh, number four from Straight Out of Compton, No Vaseline by Ice Cube. Uh, I won't get the point for that. <laughs> number three from American Psycho, Hip to Be Square by Huey Lewis in the News. Why didn't we mention that? I did mention it. Did you? Oh, it was on your list. Okay. Honorable Why didn't I mention that? All right. Uh, number two from Reservoir Dogs, Stuck in the Middle with You by Steelers Wheel. And number one, Bohemian Rhapsody, Wayne's World. I got two. So I, I win, got, right? I got two. I got two, but I got his number one. And but I got, you got the number one and in I got the it. number one spot. I had that one, just not number one. I also had Shipping Up to Boston, and I mentioned the Huey Lewis song. But you, think, you got two, and you got his number one, right? Yeah. You got so two and you, the number one. So then you win. Yeah, so yes. he wins. Because yeah. I just got two. I got I got his one and two. I should have. Nobody mentioned America the Beautiful from the Sandlot, Terry. That, yeah, that I once you said that I was like, oh man, that so that's that is Zach's twenty fifth win. Terry is twenty two, and I have thirty eight and a half. Well done, Zach. Well done. All right, moving on. It's time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And I won last time, so I got to assign you guys something to watch, and you had to watch something that was off my top ten list that neither of you had seen. So, Todd, we're starting with you. Tell us about it. Okay, so we had to watch The Guilty, which is a movie from last year by Antoine Fuqua, and it's about Joe Baylor, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a suspended police uh, detective working as a 911 operator uh, while his case is being handled, I guess. And he goes through um, boring drones of people calling overnight about dumb shit until one particular call comes up by a woman named Emily Brighton, played by Riley Keough. uh, And he she's talking almost in code to him. And he does everything he can to help her while going through the endless hoops of trying to get his peers and his friends to actually take the situation seriously. Everything happens off camera. We never actually leave his office. Like the, the voice work is done by the likes of like Ethan Hawke and Paul Dano and Paul, Peter Sarsgaard, apparently, which I would have known. Again. Yeah, both of them. Um, it's a remake of the Danish movie of the same name in 2018. Uh, 
Jake Gyllenhaal is great because his sarcasm uh, makes it interesting even when nothing's going on. He like it, it's a trouble performance, and he makes it intense even when nothing is actually happening. And because uh, so you're sort of on edge, like he he, he needs to play more cops because he, he's just really good at that. But the directing is kind of complex because it makes us care about what's going on, even though we, we're not actually seeing it. I mean, we have to visualize what's going on. It, it comes off uh, eerily similar to like Buried, which is the Ryan Reynolds movie where he's buried alive. Like, I mean, because we, we never leave the coffin in that one either. It's it's written by Nick Pizzolasso, who was the creative true detective. And you can see where he gets his attention to detail. It's, it's identical to the original, but it, it has a slightly different tone. So it still works. I mean, it, it's about a guy trying to rehabilitate himself by uh, helping others while realizing the error of his own ways. The, the twists are handled well, even if you know where they're coming from. Uh, it's a pretty tight thriller, and I like it. It's my kind of movie. It's a three-star movie. Nice, nice. I was wondering how it related to the to the original, because I know you'd seen it. So it's, it's basically a um, shot-for-shot remake type of deal? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, I mean it's, it does have a, a slightly different feel, but yeah, I mean, it is... It is basically the same movie. Okay. All right. Zach, what did you think? Uh, yeah, this is a Todd movie, not a Zach movie. I did not like it very much. Uh, we got, you know, some classic Todd actors in here. We've got sort of a Todd premise in a way. We got a, a, a police story about a guy who's done something bad but kind of gets rehabilitated. Uh, I, I liked the first half hour of this movie. I thought it was kind of an interesting setup. Um, and, uh, oh, it's by the writer of True Detective, which also makes it a Todd movie. Um, uh, and, uh, I thought it was kind of cool, like seeing how he doesn't take his job too seriously. Jake Gyllenhaal is, is very much in like nineties Tom Cruise mode in this movie. He's like freaking out, man. In the way that Tom Cruise is freaking out in like, the night. And they, that's not a good imitation, but, uh, anyway, um, so uh, uh, what I didn't like about this movie is it, it, this is like screenwriting 101. You got the crisis, you got storyline A with uh, the, uh, the, the crisis call that he gets on the phone. And you got storyline B, which is his personal life and problems. And oh yeah, screenwriting 101, let's have them intersect at the end in the most convenient, contrived way possible. It's called the guilty for a reason. It's a very kind of silly uh, deus ex machina, I thought. Um, I, I just kind of got bored by it by about the 30, 45 minute mark. Uh, I think it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting concept for a movie. I read on IMDb that Antoine Fuqua, I think had developed COVID-19 and so had to work from like uh, some sort of suit. Maybe it was the same suit that Paul Dano was wearing in the Batman to give his actors <laughs> instructions. Um, and I would be much more interested in seeing a movie about that than this movie. I give it two stars. Oh, that's disappointing. Bill Burr wasn't even a cop in this movie. I mean, really. Just, that, that was an easy target. Uh, well, yeah. Th this, Well, it was in my top ten. Since I've watched some other things, it, it's fallen out since. Because it was right on the edge of my... It was number ten when we revealed. But, uh, no, I love this movie. And the one thing I was wondering is how it compared to the original. So, um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's great. And I love movies like this. Where it's kind of like phone book in that you you hear not phone book phone booth, where you you hear everything but you don't really see anything and you have to kind of like it, it leaves way too much up to the imagination, um, to but that's a good thing, and uh, yeah, yeah like and I, said, I thought I mean, it was like the perfect COVID movie too. 
Yeah. Well, buried is the one that that I I yeah phone phone booth is a decent comparison too. But yeah. But like Jill Hall in this movie, he's got two modes. He's got intense and more intense. There's not like a whole lot of dynamic interest to his character and they don't really develop it anymore and i don't know like it's because he's pissed off the whole movie because he's doing a job he doesn't want to be doing it's just like come on i i i lost i just lost interest i didn't have a lot of sympathy for him i didn't have sympathy for the other characters it just it wasn't that interesting i wanted to know about the guy that crashed his bike and who jake gyllenhaal rudely hung up on because when you crash your bike and injure yourself that is a serious situation so I thought that was kind of a douchey move. I think he wins douche of this movie. Zach is saying that from experience. I may be saying that from experience. I remember that experience. All right. I, I thought it was I thought it was a fun, tight trailer. Tight, tight thriller. Tight, tight, tight. Yeah. A, a nice tight thriller. And uh yeah, worth much more than two stars. Um, it was almost a four-star movie for me last year. All right. Well, that means we're into trivia now. And my trivia that we're going to be doing here is all surrounding Batman. I mean, we reviewed the Batman, so we're going to be talking Batman. Um, let's see here. Which one should we start with? Uh, we're going to start with this one. Um, live action Batman movies have been nominated for nine different Oscars. Uh can you name the awards they've been nominated for? Uh, so you need to give me the category and the film, and and we're looking at we're looking at the nine live action Batman movies since 1989. So um, there, there's start? not many of them, uh, but uh, yeah. So that's what we're looking at for this first category: the nine Oscar nominations that Batman movies have had. Zach, can I, you can start. Can I start. Thank you. I'll get the point. Heath Ledger. I think the, Heath, the rest might be yours, Todd. All right. Heath Ledger for uh, Dark Knight. For Dark is Knight. You didn't have to say the movie. You do have to say the movie, but I mean, uh, no. it's it's no, the one acting returns, nomination that's gotten. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight was nominated for Best Sound Editing. That is correct. Was Zach. Kiss from a Rose nominated from Batman Forever? It was not. God damn it. It should have been. It really should have been. It won that. I remember us talking about it. Maybe it was like the MTV song of the Golden Globes. Something. Yeah, so, maybe Golden, oh, Golden Globes. Globes. Todd, do you have any more? Uh, the Dark Knight was nominated for Best Sound Mixing. Nope. It only had two nominations, Supporting Actor and Sound Editing. Really? Right. I thought it was yeah. nominated for like six. Nope. I, I, I well, then so. the Kiss Me, Heal Me, Feel Me, whatever from Batman Forever. Um, no, no songs have been nominated from Batman movies. Whatever. Maybe let me art, let me double direction? check this. Art direction for the first Batman movie, maybe. Um, art and set direction for the for the 1989 Batman. Yeah, I'm double checking to make sure I got this right. Hold on, I might have missed some for Dark Knight. Now that I'm looking at it, it was nominated for like six or eight Oscars, right? I mean, that's why. I was oh in... gosh, yeah, I missed, I missed some here. Okay, so what did you say? Sound mixing. Sound mixing. Yeah, that was right. Best okay. editing. Let's keep going. It was nominated for editing. Then I was yeah. wrong. There, there have been more than nine. There's been fifteen nominations. I'll give Zach a Same. point for getting the other one. What? The 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 art and sec direction for the first Batman. Oh. 
I'll give him a point for that. He's going to need it. <laughs> After you, I'm gonna you, say, you're going to say uh, art direction for the Dark Knight. No, it's art direction wrong. for Dark Knight is correct. So am I back in it? Sure, uh, keep going. I'll, I'll let I'll, I'll let him get get see if okay. he can get more. Uh, I think Batman Forever was nominated for a few more. I want to say like sound. Batman Forever was nominated for sound. Batman Forever for costumes. No, no costume. No costume. I feel like we talked about that too. We did. We did. It did not get a costume. How did you screw this up so badly, Terry? (laughs) What? No, I I just missed the list of the the extra ones that Dark Knight was nominated for. That that's that's what I missed. I I looked mm-hmm. at its winners because it won sound editing and supporting actor and missed the the other six it was nominated for. All right. Well, Zach got back in. So Zach, do you have any more? And then Todd, Todd can see if he can have any more. Did Todd say uh, Dark Knight for makeup? Uh no. But you just did. All right, Todd, you can get another one. Did I get a point for that? Is that right? Yeah, you did. Yep, that's right. He did not say it, but it is correct. Uh, no. Batman Forever for Best Art Direction. Nope. Oh. Damn it. And, no, no, Batman right. Forever. I mean Batman Returns. Uh, still nope. Okay. All right. Zach, do you have Bat- any more? Batman Forever for sound effects editing. Batman Forever for sound editing is correct. Yes! Uh, Batman Forever... For makeup. No. Oh. All right. So what we missed first Dark Knight here had some more. It had sound editing or one sound editing that uh, Dark Knight had cinematography. Cinematography. Um, Didn't Batman Begins have cinematography too? Molly Fister. And visual effects, I think, were the only ones we didn't say from Dark Knight. Um, and what did you say, Todd? Batman Begins didn't have cinematography. Batman Begins had cinematography. Son of a Batman bitch. Forever. I knew that. Batman Forever had cinematography. Oh, okay. And then Batman Returns had visual effects and makeup. Nice. So, all right. Next one. Uh, hopefully this one goes a little better. What's what? the score? Do we have a the score? The score is Good. five Terry to four, one. Zach. Terry is negative one. Five to four, Zach. Because you each got a mulligan. And, yeah, but uh, he screwed up first. Yeah, he screwed up first. And then you let's got just, to say two let, more let, before let's he say got another point. Let's say we're tied. I, I think... Tied. We're going to say yeah. it's tied. I'll give Todd, Todd next point. point. Five to five. Okay. Next category. And I know this is going to be the last category. All right. Last category. Um, there have been. So talking about the nine live action Batman movies since 1989. Uh, there have been from my count, 31 people that have been in Batman movies that have been nominated for an acting Oscar. 31 people that have been in live action Batman movies that have been nominated for an acting Oscar. You cannot say Ben Affleck. That's Damn it. There you go. He's the first one I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> He's not been nominated for an acting Oscar. That's counted as a Batman movie? Yes. Ba- Batman versus Superman? That count. That's that's in the nine. That's in the nine. So the four... So the two, the two Burton, the two Schumacher, the three Nolan, um, the the one Zack Snyder, and then and it, the and it the cannot Batman. be a production, uh, a Oscar like Danny DeVito. 
No, it okay. had yeah. Danny DeVito also does not count. It has to be an acting Oscar. Okay. All right. Let's see how far we get through this list. Zach went first last time, so Todd, you get to go first. Christian Bale. Oh, Christian Bale should be correct. Yep. Heath Ledger. <laughs> Heath Ledger. <laughs> correct. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, happy day. Correct. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman is correct. Kim Basinger. Basinger is correct. Uh, Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. I had completely forgotten she was in The Dark Knight Rises, but that is correct. Anne Hathaway. She is also in The Dark Knight Rises. Correct. Michael Kine. Michael Kine is Alfred in the Dark Knight trilogy. Correct. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is correct. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. I had forgotten had an Oscar nomination. That's correct. Adam's favorite supporting actor of the decade, I believe. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is correct. Uh, and he said Michael Keaton, right? You said Michael Keaton. Okay, Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson is correct. Uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman is correct. She was in Batman? I don't remember that. Batman and Robin. She was Poison Ivy. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Well, let's go Clooney then. George Clooney is correct. Uh, Christopher Walken? Christopher Walken is correct. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is correct. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg is correct. Wow. Um, Anne Hathaway? Uh, already said. Oh, okay. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer is correct. Jack Palance? Jack Palance is correct. How many do we have? Um, you've said 10, 5, 10, 15, 19 out of, of the 31. 31. Or 30, 30, 30. Um, the man, Eric Roberts. Does he have an Oscar nomination? Yes, he does. Okay, you... I forgot to write him down, but he is correct. Yeah. Then there is 31. For Terry. Uh, Liam Neeson. All right, Liam Neeson is correct. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Um, John Turturro hasn't been nominated, has he? <clears throat> no, he so. has not. No, then I, I'm out. All right, Todd, do you have any more? You've won, but do you have any more? You're, you guys are I'm, done with, the, I'll say this, you're done with the Burton Schumacher era. And I'm trying to remember the other actors in those stupid Batman vs. Superman movies. Oh, there's a ton. In that one that you haven't said, I know. I know. Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter. Yep, I forgot about that. I don't even remember her in that. I'm done. I don't know. He's like the others. senator or something that is regulating Superman or something, some crap like that. Oh, Jeremy um, Irons. Jeremy Irons is Alfred in that one. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. So the the Nolan ones you missed, uh, Batman Begins also had Tom Wilkinson and Ken Watanabe. Oh, that's right. Well, it's a Christopher um, Nolan movie, so. Yeah, and then Dark Knight, you missed Maggie Gyllenhaal. 
Yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal. What is she, what was she nominated for? Crazy Heart. Uh, Crazy Heart. Oh, okay. And the, yeah. I thought of her, but I just didn't remember she was nominated. <clears throat> and then I I mean the the then the Batman v Superman ones, the other ones are I, I don't blame you for not getting because they're they're Superman characters. They're not Batman characters, but they're in that movie. So Amy Adams is Lois Lane. Diane Lane and Kevin Costner are the Kents. Lawrence Fishburne is uh, is Perry, whatever his name is, the one that runs the Daily Planet. And then Michael Shannon pops up in there as the bad guy from Man of Steel. So that's that's dumb. Perry should lose another point for even including those as possible. They're picks. in the movie. I know. And I almost feel like we tied to because we actually did have the same amount of points. <laughs> I mean, because well, oh yeah, I guess you did. <laughs> Let's just assign ter- Terry. Okay. Well, well I, do I have... assigned Terry Virgin Suicide. So there we go. I like. I like that we got t- we tied again. We tied okay. last time with. Let's with, let's with leave it as a tie. Rankings. We'll leave it as a tie. This you guys time. can figure Terry, out. Terry messed up multiple times. Terry's the loser in this. I didn't. Mo- I didn't mess up that much. I didn't mess up that much. I recovered. All right. Whatever. Quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Um, I'll go to Todd first since Zach already used his and he may need to find another one. I have another one. Okay. Uh, so it comes from the Batman. I just think it's a really cool quote. He's like, fear is a tool. When the lights hits the, hits the sky, it's not just a call, it's a warning. They think I'm hiding in the shadows, watching, waiting to strike. I am the shadows. That, that, awesome. that, it is a great line. And there also was not a more noir moment than his opening monologue over voiceover narration. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was 1940s as it comes right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Zach. I was going to say, Terry, as an office, as a fellow office man, did you get any flashbacks when Batman was reading his journal to Michael Scott's journal during his deposition with Jan? Oh, journal, I had sex with Jan. He, he, he. That's all that I thought of when they, when Batman was reading his journal. But maybe I'm just twisted. Although I, not I as, did not think of that. Not as twisted as having Singing in the Rain from Clockwork Orange <laughs> is my number one song. That's just dark, man. That's going places. Anyway, my number one quote comes from a much better Jake Gyllenhaal performance as Lou Bloom in Nightcrawler, which I think he's trying to emulate in some way in every movie he's done post Nightcrawler. And uh, it's when he says, my motto is, if you want to win the lottery, you've got to make money to buy a ticket. Which is true. It is true. That is true. Uh, all right. I like my Tarantino quote better, but that's okay. That is better. All right. I like, um, I like Uncle Jackie better. My uh, my quote comes from a trailer I saw when I saw the Batman, and it was a trailer I saw for DC League of Super Pets. But uh, it's from Batman, and I think it's a great it's a great quote. He says, "I work alone, except Robin, and Alfred, and Commissioner Gordon, MIT guys, and whoever Morgan Freeman played." <laughs> I thought I thought it was I thought that was that was pretty clever. That was pretty clever. All right. Well, uh, with that, we're going to draw this podcast. We needed a Lego Batman appearance in the Batman. That would have improved it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. We're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with a very special episode. And until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. 
Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.